Hello and welcome to the 250, your apparently daily podcast looking at some of the best and worst movies of all time as voted for by IMDb users. This week we're continuing our Shark Week coverage, taking a look at Jaws 87, Jaws the Revenge, but almost certainly never Jaws 4. I'm your host, Darren Mooney, and joining me as always is my co-host, Andrew Quinn. How are you, Andrew? I'm very good. We've set a precedent now. This is now a daily <laughs> podcast. Um, thank, thank you, Andrew. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> Yeah, I do not regret this decision in any way, shape, or form at this moment in time. But it's okay, because joining us for this discussion, rounding out our coverage of Shark Week, our co-host on this adventure through the Jaws franchise, the fantastic Emma Kylie. How are you, Emma? I am delighted to be here to defend a film that I think gets a lot of flack. And I'm I'm here to defend it, and I'm looking forward to it. Thank you for having me again. Our, our pleasure. And, and one might say it certainly does. It is, I believe, the 37th worst <laughs> film of all time, according to the IMDb. That is, like, h- half the ranking of the of Jaws 3. Jaws 3 is at 75. So, yes, this is a much worse film, according to the IMDb. And joining us for this discussion, a special guest. It's not twice as bad, though. That, I don't it's, know how it's, that, it's, it's like, it's, half as good. But yeah, not, yeah, it's like it's out of 10. So, it's it's like... What? what, what are, oh, are we actually it's doing like this? It's like 5% worse. <laughs> okay. Right? Uh, <laughs> oh, oh. <laughs> if, if there were only 100 movies. Like, that were bad. Or, or sorry. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, uh, I don't know how it... Uh, and joining us for this discussion, having invited himself on the pod, on this episode when we talked about T2 train spotting, uh, an expert in shark exploitation, one of the great Irish film critics, Jason Coyle. How are you, Jay? I'm fantastic. Uh, I don't know anything anything about maths either, so don't ask me about negative reverse halves or anything yeah. otherwise. I don't know. My hands are always yeah. just leave me alone. I'm, I'm, I'm very uncertain of the thing I just said. And I, <laughs> hey, yes. w- w- one, one is the lowest you can give something on IMDb, right? Yes, yes, you yeah. cannot give zero. Um, but again, like, and I, I love, by the way, that in a keeping with a movie franchise rooted in the 70s, we've begun with, with Jared Ford's classic, Nobody Told Me There'd Be Maths. Um, so yes, <laughs> Jay... As the guests on this episode, as we've been going through the week, we've been asking our guests about their history with the Jaws franchise, their history with shark exploitation, and their history with this film in particular. But I understand you've been on something, you've been diving into the depths of the genre, oh God. so to speak. Yes. You've been really swimming with the sharks when it comes to talking about bad movies. I hit the benchy mark, if you will. Um, nice. Sorry. Hey. Sorry. Sorry, everyone. Um, yeah, well, what's happened kind of weirdly in the last while is that I've somehow ended up the 250 go-to guy for malign sequels, uh, which is good because I, I actually quite enjoy it because everybody seems to have talked to death, the great ones. So there's more fun to be had, I think, with the, the less than stellar reputational ones, I think. And yeah, I think you're right. And I, I, I think there is like a familiar sort of criticism sure, um, about kind of um, some of these maligned sequels. And I would agree. people just kind of absorb that and then it's like, okay, I, I know what they're I know what I need to know about this movie I've never seen. It it's it that's the one that's bloody blah. Yeah, oh. you it, it gains a reputation through osmosis that becomes kind of repeated and regurgitated. Yeah, I, I, th- I think that's fair. And I think a lot of sequels, particularly infamous ones in this regard, tend to do gather that kind of bad reputation over the years. Um so yeah, I I decided a while back to take a punt at all the ones I could get my hands on that kind of fit for this. So I, I weirdly enough, I skipped Jaws because I'd only watched it a few weeks back a little while ago. So I was like, I'll skip the best one. I go straight into the rest and see what, because <laughs> I'm an idiot. You just dive right and in. And that's the kind of first thing I do. So I watched 
Jaws 2, 3, Revenge, The Island, uh, and the other bit. The, other, the, the Peter Benchley movie with uh, with Michael Caine. Yeah? Yes, and the other one with uh, Deep, which has um, Robert Shaw in it. Yes, Luke Gossett Jr. Uh, and, and Robert and Shaw. In the, yeah, yeah, yeah. But I think Robert, Luke Gossett Jr. both of them, actually, uh, the Deep and the Island. Um, but, so I kind of, <laughs> wow. I wanted to kind of a bit in the round. And then I watched a very special one, which we'll talk about later, which is kind of like, I watched it last night, which will put a bow on this whole thing. I won't mention it yet because... It's kind of indescribable. We'll get to it. Uh, I think Darren knows what I'm talking about. I maybe do. I think that, yes, we are approaching the cruelest month. Um, we are. We are indeed. And Emma, as the person who has been our guide through the franchise, our expert in Jaws, would you like to like set the table for us with regards to like Jaws the Revenge? What's your take on this film? Because I think yesterday you were maybe a bit rough on Jaws 3D. Maybe that was maybe. the kind of Jaws movie I think you described as perhaps the worst film in the franchise. Yeah. How do you feel about Jaws the Revenge in comparison? So Jaws the Revenge comes third in my ranking. I've said this before. It's Jaws 1, 2, the Revenge and 3. And I think for a lot of people, their ranking goes in the same way the films are like 1, 2, 3, 4. And I watched The Revenge last night for the first time in years. And yeah, I saw it for all its, like, I was really brought into the daylight and I could see it for all its flaws. But I think as a kid, it seemed really scary. I thought it was a really scary film compared to the others. And I think that was really exciting. But it, like, it, 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 it did a weird thing. Like, it completely, like, disregarded the film that came before it and then did a con continuation of two other films like you don't really see that like often and I don't think it did the worst job in terms of the Brody legacy like it, obviously it's a bizarre film but I find it hard to believe that IMDb rated a lot lower than Jaws 3D. Well, there's, a, there's a bit to mention there because you, you are entirely right we talked about it a bit yesterday but like almost as soon as Jaws 3D came out despite the fact that it was one of the 10 highest grossing movies of 1983 Everybody involved was like, whoa, that is a bit of a dead fish. That's a bit of a stinker there. Let's get a bit of a distance from it as well. And you have like the idea, as we mentioned, that like you have like Sid Sheinberg saying, you know, it was a pretty crap movie. You have Joseph Sargent, the director of this movie, saying we're kind of hoping people forget about Jaws 3D when they come and see Jaws the Revenge. You have the press that was sent out for the movie calling it the epic conclusion of the Jaws trilogy. And I won't tell you which movie they dropped from the title there. And as you point out, this is, without getting too spoilery, a movie that largely disregards the events of the movie that came before, right down to recasting the two lead roles from the previous film as well. No no Dennis Quaid and um, his, his, his brother, yeah. uh, Randy Quaid. Is, is, is also replaced. Yeah. <laughs> Unfortunately, cancer, cancel culture comes for all of us, I'm afraid, Andrew. Um, but yeah, like it, it's a very interesting movie to talk about kind of in that sense. And we might talk about that a little bit in the spoiler zone because I do, I find what's been interesting looking at Randy the... Quaid is cancelled. Okay, all right. <laughs> it's okay. We, you can just put like Stephen Root in everything. He's great. <laughs> I do like the idea of Stephen Root as the good Randy Quaid. It's like, it's like an upgrade. We got like the Randy Probably Quaid. Probably younger before. too. It's a significant upgrade, I'll tell yeah. you that much. Yeah. Absolutely. He's, he, he's incredible. Um, he's a terrific oh, he, actor, Stephen Root. He is, yes. He's the root of all good things. But yeah, but yes, I mean, what's what's kind of been interesting about talking about, like, and it's we do it every time we do it, like a series of these movies back to back. We talk about The Godfather and we talk about Indiana Jones. Uh, and when we talk about Jaws, you get to chart a little miniature history or craft a little narrative that runs across a set period of time in Hollywood. That kind of looks at where Hollywood was over the course of these films coming together. And Jaws is a particularly interesting example because 
this is a very interesting and challenging movie because there are a lot of people who wonder why. Why this movie came about in the way that it did. And to provide context for that, this movie was greenlit in a phone call that took place, depending on who you ask, between late September and early October 1986. In that phone call, it was specified that the movie had to have a release date of the 4th of July 1987, leaving nine months in total from this movie is happening to this movie is being released in cinemas. There was no script when the movie started. Uh, There was no cast when the movie started. Uh, There was no even basic concept of what the movie was going to be when this movie started. But the fire, the pistol was fired and it was like, we need this on the slate for July 4th, 1987. And there's a lot of people wondering like where this urge came from because nobody was picking up Jaws after Jaws 3D. It wasn't like they rushed it into production. It wasn't like there were attempts to make a Jaws 4 that kind of fell through. It was seen as something that was dead and useless. And all of a sudden, Sid Sheinberg, who is like basically the protagonist of this miniseries, calls up Joseph Sargent and says, look, I need you to make this movie and I need you to make it in nine months. And a lot of people, there's a lot of speculation about why that is. And there are four core reasons that people speculate about why Jaws 4 was rushed into production and why it took the shape that it did. The first is the state of the industry in 1986, when the movie was greenlit, where, as we discussed, when Jaws 3 came out, Hollywood was on a roll. Every summer was the biggest summer ever. 1982 broke all box office records. 1983 broke all box office records. 1984 broke all box office records. There's also quite a lot of inflation in the early 80s, <laughs> by the way. Yeah. Um, so I, 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 I wonder are those figures adjusted? Uh, they are apparently. Apparently, it was even by number of tickets sold. It was. Oh. It was. It was a larger number. And then uh, things are better than four years ago. <laughs> it's, yeah. it's 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 morning in America. It is indeed. And people are not going to the cinema anymore. Um, But yeah, so like then it kind of stagnated in 1985 and 1986 was seen as a particularly bad year for movies. According to Marvin Antonowski, who was the president of marketing at Universal Pictures, assessing the doldrums of the 1986 box office. The summer has no sequels, no blockbusters, no Spielberg production, no movies by the Saturday Night Live crowd, Bill Murray, Eddie Murphy, or Chezzy, Chevy Chase. You also had, in particular, Universal had one of the worst summers on record in 1986. Let me just give you a couple of examples of the movies on their slate. Sweet Liberty, Psycho 3. Oh, that's the Bob Fosse movie, isn't it? Sweet Liberty? No, you're thinking of Sweet Charity. Charity. Sweet Charity, Charity. Sweet Charity. Sweet Charity. Sorry, Sweet Charity. Sorry, I, beg your I was wondering, like... How is that 1986? <laughs> yeah, I make a friend. Uh, but, um, and then you had Legal Eagles, which was expensive and flopped. And most infamously, Howard the Duck. Howard the Duck was Universal's big box office play in 1986. It was George Lucas's first big movie coming off of Star Wars. It was an adaptation of a comic book property. It was going to be massive. And apparently... It was it- dreadful. <laughs> <laughs> Did you have a duck with with boobies? Yes, it did have a duck with boobies. There's a very discreet sex scene, or if I remember correctly, that disturbed younger me, I will say that. (laughs) You didn't quite have that to complete the reference we're making every episode this season, that uh, Javier Bardem reaction to E.T., unfortunately. (laughs) but yeah, basically, so you had the... It was a, it was a, it was a, bad, a bad year for movie, a good, a, good, a good year for human beings. Yes, yes. We did, that was the year that produced one Andrew Quinn. 
1997 was even better. It broke all <laughs> records. Sequels. Um, but yes, so you had basically like Frank Price, the chairman of Universal. You're Darren born the year after. <laughs> By the end of summer 1986. <laughs> I am very, very old. Uh, by the end of summer 1986, in, in September 1986, Frank Price, the chairman of the movie division of Universal Studios, was forced out of his job. Um and was given his walking papers. Apparently, and I, I did set this up in our Jaws 2 episode and promised this would be a recurring motif, apparently Price and Scheinberg nearly came to blows in the Universal boardroom over who was more to blame for the failure of Joel, uh, sorry, of Howard the Duck. So there's some suggestion that Scheinberg greenlit Jaws because it was the only franchise that Universal had at that moment in time. And it was a desperate play and he really, really needed a hit. The other speculation uh, is that apparently... The Success of Aliens, which was an unlikely hit in 1986, which is a movie that is a sequel to a blockbuster classic. Uh, it garnered great reviews. I know Jay is a, a big, big fan of it. Um, it also marked the return of the leading lady from the first film who avenges herself and reasserts her motherhood, which perhaps becomes the theme that is asserted in Jaws, The Revenge. The tagline for Aliens was, This Time It's War. The tagline for Jaws the Revenge is, this time it's personal. Um, and you could argue that the movie's focus on the character of, of Brody, of, of kind of, 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 Ellen. of Ellen Brody, is perhaps playing into that kind of aliens motif, that idea of doing a sequel to something that maybe people didn't think was sequelizable. Uh, the other thing that came up was it has been suggested that the first two Jaws movies performed really, really well on television. When the first Jaws movie premiered in 1979 on television, it was the second highest rated film premiere in American television history behind Only Gone with the Wind. 60% of all Americans that night watched Jaws, which is a staggering percentage. And according to Gary, what happened is Scheinberg came home and said, I've looked at the numbers. We need to produce a new Jaws movie just to put on television. We don't care about theatrical release. We need something we can sell and package. Uh, because television and home media, they're the future. And it's notable, by the way, Jaws the Revenge was the first Jaws movie to be released on DVD. Yeah, there's a... Yeah. Was it? Really? Yes, it, it beat the original. Uh, the original arrived with much more fanfare. Universal took out, like, billboards and, like, did theme parties for the launch of the DVD yeah. of the original Jaws. But Jaws the Revenge was the first Jaws movie to make it onto DVD, which is, is kind of interesting. I'd be, I'd be very intrigued to see how many copies it sold. Oh, yeah. Well, we have, yeah, there's another... I'd say you would sell a good few. Uh, I'd like to have a copy now. I'd say it's a... <laughs> I have a copy. Collectors it? Yeah. Yeah, yeah I have all of them on DVD. Yeah. Nice. Do you have them as a set or do you have them individually? Uh, individually, yeah. Okay, nice. Yeah. They haven't got you several times. They haven't got you on the package deal as well. As <laughs> no. Okay. Just wait till the 4K comes out. I mean, exactly. That's what's weird, that's what the really 4- make those Jaws 3D effects sing. <laughs> Pop. Well, I mean, yeah. Pop that we- <laughs> Um And again, it is it is worth noting just in terms of that, that like it's been suggested that it's notable that this is a movie that takes place over Christmas. It's one of those 80s blockbusters that. Yeah. that takes I'd place over Christmas. Shane Black co-wrote it or something. Uh, yeah, it does have that vibe, all right, doesn't it? Yeah. So like Lethal Weapon, um, like yeah, yeah. Die Hard, like Batman Returns, movies that were all released in the summer, but set at Christmas and when we talked about Die Hard we said that one of the reasons why this trend was popular in the 80s was because networks are always looking for stuff to air at Christmas and if you set your movie at Christmas you can sell it to them as part of a Christmas content block uh, which is kind of during summer really 
I yeah. never knew that. So which one came out during summer? Die Hard. Yeah, Die Hard was a summer release. All of them were. Yeah, all of them were, yeah. 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 Oh my God. Like, it's all just so cynical, isn't it? Like, I'm deeply, <laughs> yeah. deeply cynical in, like, of the, of the whole industry. It's just horrifying when you get to dig into it. Like. <laughs> when, uh, just, uh, I, I mean, unless it's, unless, it's, uh, uh, unless it's a tropical country, like where, where it's good to get out of the sun shine and into an air-conditioned cinema, people shouldn't be... Um, <laughs> Watching movies in summer. I don't think they should. Yeah. yeah, I think you've outlined your position. Yeah. I, think you, I think you've described. It's a waste of a nice evening. I'm not the I, only one that thinks that. Like I, I, I was. I do watch movies in the summer. I, I'm happy to kind of get out of the house if it's a nice day. Like, happily. Uh, we say it's the four of us sit indoors on in a summer <laughs> evening talking about Jaws for. Well, you know, this how much I care about films. Uh, <laughs> this is my commitment to the bit there, and I'm a professional. Exactly. And and Andrew did also point out that this was his attempt to sabotage. I believe you described your commitment to doing Shark Week as an attempt to kind of force people to go outside by making us release less episodes in summer. We're we're taking weeks off to cover this. So. Yeah. Stuff. <laughs> we're going to we're going to take a whole lot of weeks off to to that um, <laughs> we've given you these five episodes. Yeah, five episodes, but we'll get to that when we get into into the spores as well. But yeah, so apparently, yes, that is that is a speculation. Well, now to be fair, if you want to be less cynical about it, you could argue that the reason why the movie is set at Christmas is because it was greenlit in September and had to be released in July, and they had to shoot some of it in Martha's Vineyard, which meant that there was going to be snow on the ground anyway, so they had to set it during Christmas. <laughs> but uh, it does seem interesting that he was like, "Yeah, no, we need to do it based on sales." So yes, that is those are the the main reasons or the main speculation why Jaws the Revenge happened and why it happened in the way that it did. All right, so before we jump into talking about the movie in more depth, just any any initial thoughts? So Jay, like any initial reaction to Jaws the Revenge? Yeah, I mean, I I saw the second one a long time ago. Um, so revisiting that was interesting. I think I think I actually think it's very good. Um, the third one is abominable. Uh, it's actually one of the worst films ever made, I think. <laughs> Although having said that, I would I would go to see it in cinema three D because it looks like serious crack. Yeah, but in two D, it's it's truly abysmal. Um, and Jaws: The Revenge is it as Emma pointed out, she's absolutely correct. It's a surprisingly decent. It's like if you tell me this was made in September or, or green in September for a summer release without a script, it's probably better than seventy percent of the Marvel movies. To be honest, <laughs> in the context of enjo- enjoyment purposes, it's nonsense. It's and has error glaring nonsense bits in it for sure but it's great fun like it like if most films swung with the idea that sharks follow families to bermuda to get revenge (laughs) i would be in the cinema a lot more i tell you that much (laughs) because it's so ludicrously absurd it's absolutely astounding and brilliant in that regard like i I had a ball with it an absolute ball with it and maybe that terrible but great fun maybe that happens in this movie Maybe it doesn't. Well, that would be a. I mean, to be fair, we'll never tell. To be fair, I don't know yes. if the movie knows for sure whether that I, happens in this movie. I have some questions when we get to the spoiler zone. I but don't I, care. I'm <laughs> accepting it. Uh, and if that's the case, that's great. That's some good shark planning. That's some good uh, expedition. And yeah, I I don't absolute ball with it. All right, all right, all right. Then so three questions to get us started before we jump into the spoiler zone. So Emma. Do you think that Jaws the Revenge belongs on a list of the 100 worst movies ever made? Not at all. I really don't. I really don't. And I said this with Jaws 3. You have these 
awful films made by depraved men of women being raped and you know, uh, like making fun of minorities and Jaws of Revenge just doesn't have any of that. And you have to, that has to like say something. But also on a more like positive note, I think it's a pretty good story. I think it rounds off what, like eight, over a decade worth of films or, you know, this franchise quite well. Yeah, it has so many holes and has so many flaws, but overall, no, I don't think, like I think there's, you'd find a lot worse films in the world a hundred percent and i mean it, it is worth noting when you mentioned that in particular like the the fact that this is a movie based around a middle-aged woman and without getting too spoilery about it yeah a significant chunk of that movie is arguably about a middle-aged woman finding love as a second chance uh, in a movie about a killer shark in the bahamas um i kind of there i think you're onto something there with it being a very interesting kind of movie i think like there's a there's a line like gary was asked about like doing the performance again because obviously she'd retired um yeah she as we mentioned she'd been an actor she'd actually worked with director joseph Sargent before joseph Sargent had done i believe it's the munson nielsen murders uh, which was a tv movie that served as a launch for kojak um and she had starred in that pilot with him um for him uh, but she basically she'd retired her last film before this was uh, spielberg's 1941 um and she'd argued that she had difficulty getting roles because nobody would hire her because she was married to the president of the studio because nobody wanted to get in a row involving the wife of the president of the studio because they would probably lose their jobs. And we talked a little bit about that on Jaws too, so we don't need to come back to it um, just a bit. But she, she said, yeah, it was a big deal to be asked to come back. And she has a quote here saying, the most exciting thing is that a middle-aged woman is responsible for the thrust of the last part of the movie. I'd love to see more women, particularly more women my age, doing more active things. And I think that's, in the context of 1987, that feels oddly notable you know i mean even today do we have that many movies with women that age doing that stuff exactly and she's not she's not made into a gimmick it's not like oh granny is you know in her diehard era or whatever it's about a woman who's trying to avenge her son and mother like and i think i think lorraine gary gives a really good performance like she probably knows the film is complete and utter shite but she gives it her all nonetheless and you kind of have to respect that um and uh, Jay, what about yourself? Do you think this belongs on the list of the 100 worst movies ever made? God, I think I've probably seen 100 worst movies from this year. Uh, no, I haven't. I'm joking. I haven't seen that in movies. But I know how much you love The Northman, Jay. Yes, indeed. It's better than The Northman. You can put that on the poster. Um, <laughs> Jay. No, it doesn't at all. Um, it's it, like it's, as I said, it's not very good, but there's, there's plenty here to recommend it and plenty here to enjoy. I mean... Anytime you see a film like this and you go, oh God, and then, but then you, you know, you look at the runtime and it's a perfect 90 minutes. And Gary is great, as uh, Emma said. Mario Van Peebles has a accent, which, you know, we can all enjoy <laughs> the, the, that Caribbean accent of, uh, that was somewhat unexpected. And, you know. Wrote all his own what? lines, apparently. Like, that's the benefit of arriving on a film with no script. It's like, can I write my own yes. lines? And they're like, sure. Yeah, go for it. <laughs> Um, There's a nice, it's a weirdly, it, it has an oddly non-cynical nostalgia feel. Not the nostalgia feel in the Stranger Things sense of the thing where it's like, oh look, it's the 80s. And more in the, like, it does skip and very wisely skips Jaws 3 and kind of leans towards the original films in a way that I found quite endearing uh, and enjoyed in that regard. Like it's the picture of Roy Scheider on the wall in the police station, things like that. Just little t- touches that I quite enjoyed. Um, and yeah, it's 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 a solid three star film for me. 
Interesting. Like no, no better, okay. no worse. Good Saturday night. Okay. Good time. All right. And Andrew, what about you? Do you think this is one of the worst 100 movies ever made? I think this is a movie that has memorable but forgivable flaws. I had probably agree with that. Yeah. 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 That, that, that the, when, when, when making this film, the, 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 the makers thought like in, in terms of like, how are we going to make this work? Well, um, how about thinking kind of like a little mystically about it? It's like, wow, that's really interesting. And, and that they like listening to Joseph Sargent talk about the making of it. He says that like, well, any sequel is going to be a pale imitation like of the original so or like generally will be so like what do you do and then we and that he that he he and the people who are making it thought like this is really this i think we i think we actually have something this is kind of interesting we're we're um really cooking with gas and then he looks back and he's like how do grown men uh professionals um and and grown men and women um get get involved in in something so idiotic but 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 i i i i think it's kind of um the 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 criticisms you can make of it i don't think are too destructive to the reputation to the extent that it have been i think they're easy criticisms to make like oh it doesn't make sense or it's like you know it feels like that kind of here's everything wrong with yeah, um, style of criticism. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, like, again, just to put this in context and we'll include this in the show notes, like, this was a movie that became a joke almost instantly on release. It where did, you had, there, like, there, on the Johnny Carson show, you had, like, Richard... a stand-up Je- comedian, yeah. Richard Jenny. Yeah, Richard yeah. Jenny showing up and doing, like, a solid four-minute set complaining about the plot of Jaws 4. Um, and this is, like, a professional comedian on national television. And I think that States. did for it, right? Yeah, that, that that's, like, I mean, that feels like the moment that was a nail in the coffin for the movie. Where it's like, yeah, no, this thing is a is a joke and it's awful. And like, even if you haven't seen it, you've probably seen Jenny make the criticisms or you heard somebody who hasn't seen it make the criticisms. And we'll, right. we'll get into that when we right. get into like the plot and stuff. And it's a very easily kind of repeatable sort of like, yeah. oh yeah, that's the... That's the movie where X. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and X is... Particularly around the Kane stuff as well, that quote like that. It, it It's an endearing and funny quote about the house is bought from... The, I didn't see the film, but... Uh, but and it, you know, it's fun, it's quippy and everything. But I think it's a damage to a film that really doesn't deserve it in the sense that like it's an easy target and very it's kind of a soft target that seems kind of mm. you know low-hanging fruit in ways that so I much s- more deserves that or <laughs> i suppose that's the other thing yeah is the is the michael Caine kind of oft repeated kind of i have not seen it but by all accounts it is quite terrible i have ever seen the house it paid for and that by all accounts is quite good i stopped doing the impression halfway through the quote and i thought that was a good <laughs> um, there is also the um the really good michael Caine quote that is less often cited which i actually found really heartening where he talks about like remembering jaws the revenge and like not not hating it not being embarrassed by it and he's like what i remember about jaws the revenge is that that was a nine month period where i won an oscar i bought a house and I got to spend a seven-month vacation in the Bahamas. And it's like, I really can't... Be that's all right, isn't it? Like, yeah. that's pretty good. Yeah, you can't complain. And, yeah. and you have, like... And again, like, he's not the only person who bought a house out of this. Now, to be fair, what imagines that the Mario Van Peebles house was probably a bit smaller, well, but he bought a condominium. Yes. Marvin and... Uh, yeah, Melvin appears uh, to be his father. Melvin, um, oh, yeah. Uh, 
are, are, are both in it. And so they, they, they bought a house together. <laughs> <laughs> well, no, it's father and son. Yeah. So I don't, I don't know if they're, but yeah, he was living like in his parents' kitchen. Something he said. wrong with a father and son buying a house together. Okay. All right. It is if you're Jeremy Irons. <laughs> <laughs> okay. All right. Sorry. All right. I, won't, uh, I will not elaborate further on that. Keep this. But. <laughs> <laughs> Now it's somehow worse, but I'm not going to press the question. Um, oh, ask me, Darren. Go on, no, ask no, me. No, no, I'm, I'm okay. Thank you, Andrew. That's right. Thank you, Jay. So that was a reflexive thank you, Andrew. I apologize for that. <laughs> um, but yeah, and and for myself, I don't, I don't think so. Like, I, it's it's not a great movie. It has very, very serious flaws in it. As Andrew said, I feel like a lot of its flaws come down to its mimetic quality. The fact that it's a movie that you can point and laugh at. The kind of like everything wrong with. The fact that the plot is fundamentally arguably nonsense. The fact that there are bad decisions within it. The fact that the ending uh, in particular is so fundamentally absurd. And we will talk about that like in the spoiler zone, what happened with the ending. But the fact that like that's the image that the movie leaves you with. And you're like, wow, I've got to sit with that. Um, I, I understand those criticisms. But I do also think that this is probably a better movie than Jaws 3, if we're being entirely honest. Uh, but I also, what's been my kind of like go-to when I ask this question is, is this worse than a lot of modern franchise sequels? So is this worse than, say, Terminator Genesis? Uh, is I, this... I, I think you're right, Darren, in saying that, because I think what happens with films like this, and I, I suspect you're going to elaborate on this, but I think what tends to happen, history can be kind to things once... 30 years or 40 years have elapsed and you see what's come after. <laughs> um, and like I've watched my fair share of uh, underwater horror films in my time. Some are very good, enjoyable ones and some absolute, utterly preposterous ones. And we'll get to that. But the idea that like this is like the absolute nadir of what could be made is... Of the franchise era, even. Not true by any reasonable definition of it. Yeah. Because, like, that, that's the thing about, again, the thing about doing this miniseries is the fact that, like, it's a journey through a particular franchise. It's a journey through a particular maligned franchise, going from the movie that invented blockbusters in 1975 to the movie, you know, that is the last film in the franchise to date in 1987. And the idea that these sequels become jokes and they're treated absurdly and ridiculously. And everyone's like, ah! Even Jaws 2! Well, Jaws yeah. 2 is kind of forgotten, as we noted. Like, I liked it. It's, good. it's really good. Oh, yeah. yeah. No, no. no, I, no I mean, yeah, it's just something I, 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 thought, I thought it was being absolutely crapped on no i sorry because I, I hadn't watched it in such a long time that i was actually stunned at how enjoyable it was oh yeah no well i mean our big thing with jaws 2 is that this is the forgotten jaws movie because it's the one that's, yeah yeah because like, it's not no, no tra- notorious in any way yeah that's... i mean i mean i didn't care for it really <laughs> i i i thought i thought uh, um the brodies um the uh grown-ups were good that shider was good i thought um that that um that ellen was good Sorry, Lorraine, Lorraine, Lorraine Gary, but I I could have done with um, without the kids. Without the kids, yeah, I just found it annoying. Like they they they. The, Andrew cheering for the shark. Like Tree has kind of like kids, horny kids, and it feels fun. You know, <laughs> like Tree like never the, felt fun to me. I have to say, I, I like I think the big problem with Tree is the is the three D. Yeah, and, and the fact and that when you watch it in two D, you're basically watching it in the format it was never intended to be seen in. Yeah. Yeah. I, I will see it in yeah. 3D one day. Uh, <laughs> as God is my witness. I, I know. I'm dying to... I, I have a 3D 40. TV and a 3D Blu-ray, Jay. The invitation... Uh, oh, Jay's actually considering the invitation. We'll, I'll, we'll, we'll I'll come back to it. I'll put you this way. Like, I did get, quote-unquote, 
couple of years, uh, Disney and MPAA or whatever, a copy of it in 3D. Oh. Uh, but I didn't have uh, the facilities, aka the glasses. Okay. <laughs> so uh, <laughs> I had to return to my original schedule program. Okay. <laughs> so that didn't work out. But uh, I will watch it at some point because I have nothing better to do with my life, quite frankly. <laughs> Um, but the point I was going to make was, yeah, the, the Jaws movies are treated as this nadir of franchise filmmaking. It's the idea of taking something that was magical and brilliant and running it into the dirt. Well, it's less to do with the sequels than the movie that it's uh, based on. <laughs> the movies it's and it, Yeah, and, and the, the the fact that Jaws is so trans- transcendental, yeah. Deadly good. Just like the Friday the 13th franchise is always, <laughs> always <laughs> well, hammered what? by its masterpiece first film. What if... <laughs> What if people looked back at Jaws and just forget, forgot everything good about it and said, oh, yeah, that's a movie with that really crap kind of prop. But you know the thing, Andrew, this the thing, one of the reasons why I didn't watch Jaws to start it off, actually, to watch all these films, other than seeing it fairly recently, was I wanted to actually just watch them without being that close to Jaws and give them, yeah. a, bit of, give them a bit of room <laughs> to work because it's, it's a hard bar. Like, it's going on after the Beatles, isn't it? Like, I mean... Jaws is sublime. Like I've seen it in cinemas. I've seen it like like, and I wouldn't be Spielberg's biggest fan, but it's a masterpiece. Like I'm, uh, undoubtedly, be with anyone. I think, but so to not watch it actually was very instructive in terms of watching the rest of them. It 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 did give them a bit of room to be their own thing. I can't. I think you see Jaws too benefiting from that in particular. Oh, it did. Oh, it did. Definitely. Like if that came out and that was Jaws, I don't think I'd be calling it a masterpiece. It would be a very solid entry into a franchise. I think. Yeah. But I mean, and, and but the thing is, though, like you have plenty of franchises like that. So you have movies like, say, The Terminator, yeah. which where the Terminator, even you, Jay, James Cameron, fan, defender, lover, will concede that The Terminator is a good movie. That you Terminator's, Terminator is a masterpiece. Yeah. And I it, would not it, concede that about T2, though. OK, but it, it produces a slew of sequels and those sequels yeah, are increasingly absurd. But we don't talk about them. This None of them have made this list. Same thing with like Jurassic Park and other, I would argue, masterpieces. That's interesting, though. Yeah, right. And like it has produced a slew of sequels. And while, you know, we may say they're bad, we don't talk about them in the same breath as, oh, the hypothetical voodoo shark that may or may not be in a movie that we may or may not be talking about in a moment. We don't reduce them to yeah, shorthand. Yeah, correct though. Yeah, and we should, because yeah. they're, they're no different in relative terms. I, I mean, I, I would mention, you know, like the, the you know, oh, I suppose, no, never mind. I'm not going to go there. All right, so. Please um, go there. No, I'm not going to go there. So, Emma. Um, would it be on your own personal bottom 100, your 100 least favorite films? I suspect we may invert this. Would it be on your own 250, your own 250 favorite movies? Yeah, I actually think it would. I definitely. Emma, you mad woman, go on. I know, I know. What can I say? I'll defend this film to the ground. But as Jay was saying, it's enjoyable. Like I said with Jaws 3, Jaws 3 is a bad film that you can't enjoy. The first two, I consider good I films. Agree. Last two, bad films. But the difference between the two is that you can enjoy Jaws the Revenge. I think I definitely, I'd say 90% of the reason that I'm saying it's on my own personal 250 is that I think for a while, maybe when I was around 9, 10 or 11 and I was like Jaws obsessed, I would have said the revenge was my favourite. I think because the shark was so weird, I found it the scariest that I think I got the most thrill from the revenge. Um, I also loved Michael Caine. So I think yeah. <laughs> that 
I don't care. Yeah, literally, it's so random. But anyways, I you really don't have love. To defend yourself. I'm kind of in love with Michael Caine in this movie. Oh, I want to have like a late in life romance with Michael Caine. Oh man, wouldn't you though? Wouldn't you? I mean, like, There's... wouldn't walk along the beach talking about things? The moment, where, the moment where he takes her hand and takes her dancing, and it's like Stop. no spoiler. But it's like you know, I've got two right feet. It's like, well, I've got two left feet. Well, we're a perfect pair then. And you're like, so cute. Where is my Michael yeah. Caine? Anyway, sorry, Emma. I've I know. Controller, but it's hard to kiss you. <laughs> <laughs> Why would you want to do that, Michael Ken? <laughs> because it would never occur like, to you. Yeah, um. <laughs> but she like like uh, I don't think this like well I don't know. <laughs> I guess we'll talk about it later. Oh, okay. but the way the way the way she's just like, why is he interested in me? <laughs> yeah, like, she's the original pick me girl, Ellen Brody. I really noticed that. Like, I was like, God, yeah. this dates back to the eight, late eighties. And they're like, yeah, why like, would he like me? I'm just a regular woman. I was like, oh, Ellen, come on now. Like, like Brody, Roy Scheider is pretty fit too. Like, and, so and, hot. And, yeah, oh, big time. <laughs> Big time. Exactly. Yeah. Like, like, have you, why haven't, why hasn't she gotten okay, used to yeah. kind of like, yeah, yeah, she is. Well, that, that, that's one of my, okay, again, this is, it's probably we'll not talk a Talk about this later. Well, okay, we'll talk about yeah. this later. Sorry, I shouldn't have. No, no, it's, it, I mean, we, we did get on the Michael Caine tangent, so apologies. But yes, <laughs> Emma, you do not have to apologize or feel at all embarrassed about liking Michael Caine. <laughs> Okay, good. But yeah, I'd say that's probably a big reason of it that I've just always loved it. I don't know how I'd feel about it if I watched it for the first time at this age, but I definitely would. It's probably towards the bottom and maybe towards the end of my life, it might be swapped out for something else. But right now, I'm definitely considered amongst my 250 favorite films, for sure. I, I like the idea of like Emma on her deathbed at the age of like 150, <laughs> 115 being like... Putting an Antonioni film in. Yeah, the, just yeah. slotting it in. Four yeah. at the last second. Yeah, Jaws the Revenge. Bring in Jaws yeah. 17. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> um, all right. And Jay, is this one of the worst 100 movies you've ever seen? I mean, it's weird, but it's, it's not one of the worst films I've ever seen. And it's certainly nowhere within 20 miles of my top 250 films. But again, it's, you know, it's a good time. I mean... Give me a 90 minute film that knows it's nonsense and, and actually goes with it and I'm your man like for a, a weekend kind of film. Yeah. Absolutely fine. That's your Michael Caine. And not a lot of people know that. <laughs> um, oh God, what am I like? And Andrew, what about yourself? Would it be on your own bottom 100 would, or would it go to Bad Movie Island? It wouldn't be on the bottom 100. I didn't hate it. I thought it was in, in, enjoyable enough. Um, I don't think it would go on Bad Movie Island as ba- as bad as, um, uh, like, you know, did I I I think I I feel like I feel like for me, uh, three is a little more fun. I mean, I know it looks oh. terrible. It's really kind of like blurred around concept-y. the edges. It has very kind of like very bad kind of visual effects it, it um it's probably better in 3d but it it yeah it, it 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 is as you say it's very kind of like high concept and you have um like the absurdity um, of sea world co-producing a lot movie of, in which a shark feasts on the you know guests and staff at sea world yeah there's a lot of stuff there's a lot of kind of escalation and it's kind of fun it doesn't take itself especially I've, I've, I've got a question uh yeah. what films are on bad Bad film island. Um, like the so you're you're being um you're being deported. I think. Yeah, yeah. You're you're, 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 you're being you're being you're being exiled. Yeah. 
but you're allowed to bring 100 movies, but they have to be bad. So they can't be obviously good movies, but you want to have ones that you would actually watch. Oh, okay, okay. Yeah. That's that's that's, that's, that's a prerequisite. Okay, interesting. Yeah, I'll have to think about that one. So you need, like, customs need to stop you, and yeah. they open the briefcase, and they can't go, ah, oh, Godfather Part 2. You know, it has to be, like... Yeah, the customs are movie snobs as well. Yeah, they, they're... So, they're, like, they can't, they can't open it and say, like, oh, barbed wire. This is a, it's a classic. You can't bring this. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. Have to be yeah. like, oh, okay, he can't take Casablanca, but he can take the remake, Barbed Wire. Um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we are hopefully still going to cover those back-to-back later in the have summer. Have we not done Barbed Wire yet? Have I, have I, have I invited myself for that yet? Because I'm just about to invite myself for that. <laughs> you you got married, Andrew, is what happened there. Oh, yes, yeah. That's right. Poor <laughs> 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 Andrew. And for myself, um, no. I Again, I... There are worse movies. I sat through worse movies this year. I sat through worse franchise movies this year. I found, like, it is absurd. It's not good. I'm not going to jump to its defense and consider it a, you know, lost masterpiece of 80s cinema. Um, I think that, like, arguably, you know, probably at the time people were quite right to go, man, this state of modern franchising is absurd and ridiculous. And, like, people should be concerned that they're just going to keep churning out remakes and reboots and sequels and rehashes and all this sort of stuff. This is terrible. But when you, as, as Jay said, when you watch it from the vantage point of, like, 2022, you're like, actually, it's kind of good that they stopped at four. <laughs> Somehow it feels improbable. Like, I'm, I'm waiting for, like, Universal to announce a legacy sequel starring Richard Dreyfus returning as Hooper. With say Tatiana Maslany as his uh, like granddaughter, and it's it's CGI Robert Shaw in the flashback, oh, yeah. like Pierre Cushion and uh, yeah. whatever Star tell, Wars film that was. Tell me you haven't. Tell me you don't see that coming. Tell me I could see it. I got, I'd actually. I'd not only could I see it, I'd go and see it. <laughs> tell me that just by me saying this, it hasn't come closer to happening. But just articulating I, I, uh, this idea, we yeah, uh, we I, I could bike put it up there. I could see it. I think we have created a few things. We that, have, like, we, we will tenet into it. We will, sorry, I, we will I Nolan's think, Oppenheimer biopic into existence, which I'm quite yeah. Proud of. And the 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 um, the uh, childish Gambino um, Lando Calrissian oh, hip opera. Yeah, which well. we're we're, we're going to take credit for that solely. Which but became yes, a thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like there are there are moments where we will say it would be crazy if something happened and then it happened. So I Jaws Jaws like a sequel starring Richard Dreyfus and I don't know Tatiana Maslany as his granddaughter. Um, let's call I'm it in. let's call it Jaws's. Um, or not, she Jaws. Or let's call yeah, it no let 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 let's have it. Um, Tatiana Maslany is marrying his Richard Dreyfus's. Uh, uh, grandson and call it the Injaws. Ooh, ah, nice. Oh, nice. Would you not get Robert Shaw's grand? Well, I oh, know he's a bit too young. You know, Robert Shaw's grandson is an actor. He's Irish Miss Fowl. Oh, that's right. Get him in and do something, but he's too young to be marrying Tatiana. Ta- right now, this is being played in a Universal Boardroom. Um, <laughs> yeah, it literally is. Can I say one of my favorite uh, an lines for a film? Go, go for it. um, a film from 1993 called Man's Best Friend. Which is about a, it was about a dog that's kind of a scientifically reduced in a kind of a lab, this kind of killing machine thing. <laughs> and how it was pitched was it was pitched in three words, and it got greenlit. It was, <laughs> it's jaws with paws. <laughs> <laughs> nice. It's like what more do you want? Like how succinct and beautiful is that? Like, I mean, I th- I think you could read. And I've seen it, sadly. <laughs> and is it? How do you rank it? Uh, it's not very good. Okay. At it's all. A, it's in a bit any way, rough, is it? It's a 
it's a tough, bit, bit chewy. Nice. Bit chewy. Um, shouldn't have let it out of the Labrador, eh? Well, it's, oh, it's, I mean, it's difficult territory. Okay, okay. Oh, okay. That's pretty good. Actually. That is really, really good. <laughs> uh, we shouldn't good. be so cavalier about it, but I'm going to put a stop to this now. <laughs> Unless Emma uh, wants to go, but I'm going to put a stop to Bye, guys, I'm off. <laughs> and rightly so. Um, I mean, like, you could just bring back the whole, like, we mentioned, like, Jaws 3, People 0 last time. Just bring it back as Jaws v. People. Yeah. Because it's like Jaws 5, it's Jaws oh, V. Yeah, I like Any- that. Right. This is a question, Darren. Uh-oh. How do you rank them? So obviously Jaws is number one, right? <laughs> yeah. And uh, like and on on your kind of ranking of the movies. So I'm probably I'm probably Team Emma here. I'm I'm Jaws, Jaws two, Jaws four, and Jaws three. Unfortunately. Right. Same. Nice. Yeah. Because okay, so- I would put four and three before two. I just really didn't like two. <laughs> I I couldn't stand that whole thing with I the team. Chaos, Andrew. <laughs> is Jaws three your number one? Like I wouldn't be no, surprised. No, 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 Jaws is obviously my number one. <laughs> I wouldn't right? be surprised. It just it just yeah. shades out Jaws three. <laughs> I, I do love the idea of like Andrew being like, look, Spielberg had some good it's ideas. Like dolphins, it took years to like, massage into like to realize. Jaws you need it, and it's great, and it's yeah. okay. Not the dolphins. Really... The dolphins rescue them yes. from the sharks, and they 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 blow they 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 blow up the the shark with a grenade from a guy who's inside. Yeah, that's um, what I just. They, I don't like dolphins particularly, so they actually kind of annoy me. <laughs> it's <laughs> also, anyway, it's also um, like, like I don't think Jurassic Park would be possible if it wasn't for Jaws 3. I think it kind of set the table for it. Um, <laughs> I love that Andrew's like, I feel like I didn't make a good enough defense of Jaws 3 yesterday, <laughs> so I'm coming back to the table for a second bite. Let me, let me absolutely destroy Spielberg here. <laughs> the third film is responsible for his whole career in many ways. <laughs> I mean, people draw a straight line from Jaws to Jurassic Park. Even Spielberg's like, Jurassic Park is Jaws on land. What he means to say I is... All, I don't want to sign up for your lone podcast where you just go you go after these films like a madman. <laughs> what he actually meant to say is that Jurassic Park is Jaws 3 on land. Thank you yes. very much, yes. Spielberg. Um, all right. So, no. Um, and So, Emma, if listeners have not seen Jaws the Revenge, would you recommend that they pause the podcast and stream it to a local device? Noting that as we have been recording these, it has become a bit harder to do so. It's no longer on Amazon Prime. But is it worth seeking out Jaws the Revenge? 100%. I like pay three or four euro for it on Apple TV to rent. And I think out of all the films, this is a film that I think you should care the most about spoilers. Because if you don't know anything about this film, you go in thinking you will know what's going to happen. And it's not going to be what you think. There is some weird this film there's some weird lines like especially like I know you're going to know Mike Cain's in and out but imagine you walked into this film not knowing a thing this absolutely schlocky bullshit sequel I still love it and Michael Cain fresh off Hannah and her sisters is just there you'd be like what is going on it's an absolute trip and I I feel like if you're lucky enough to kind of have gone through your life not knowing anything about Jaws Revenge go in with a clean slate I'd be so jealous to go in not knowing a thing. So yeah, pause, don't listen to the spoilers, go watch Shadows of Revenge, 100%. All right. And Jay, in terms of your trip through exploitation cinema, having covered everything from the deep to deep blue sea, would you recommend Jaws the Revenge? I would, yeah. I, I, I un- Unlike Emmett, I didn't contribute to Michael Caine's house, uh, <laughs> but I did watch it. <laughs> um, but it, it's great uh, in the sense of watching something far removed from both its reputation and 
where you have no real skin in the game. <laughs> you just you take it as it is. Because um, I hadn't actually really seen it. I'd seen bits of it over the years. I'd never really seen the whole thing. So I I just coming up to it. Like it's either gonna enjoy, I'm either going to enjoy it and not going to enjoy it. It's one of the other like and I that kind of slight low expectation slash not quite kind of not giving it that kind of infamous reputation. I had, had the ball. So yeah, absolutely. Go go, go get it. Right. And Andrew, would you recommend Jaws Revenge? Yeah, I, I think there are some good actors giving good performances. I think the setting um is great. Um I could say it, it it's a Christmas movie, but like most of it it's in the Bahamas. You um it's also um like truly gruesome. Yes. It's it's, it, it's good and kind of it's a it's a it's even from its kind of without getting too spoiled even from its first kill it's a yeah appreciably yeah. like yeah you're you're getting proper sharky yeah. stuff it's like it's, it's proper terrifying um so yeah no I, I i i would kind of you know um uh, um you could like buy it on um google itunes or you could like you know, support organized crime. <laughs> download it illegally. You wouldn't, yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, you wouldn't. You wouldn't download a bear. Um, um, but, <laughs> well, okay. Well, just, just a couple. Download of, a shark. <laughs> would you download a shark? A couple of things there that Andrew, Andrew, kind of quickly mentioned, which is worth noting. He mentions that a lot of the movie shot in the Bahamas. Some of it does shoot in Martha's Vineyard, and I only mention this because of two pertinent facts here that I think contribute to the debate that we're having. The first is that the video store. In Edgartown, in Martha's Vineyard, stocks copies of Jaws and Jaws 2. It does not stock copies of Jaws 3. According to the owner of the video store, it's because it's trashy. However, it should also be noted that Jaws 3 is the only Jaws movie that did not shoot in Edgartown. So one might say that maybe they have some uh, some bad blood or, or some sort of grudge being held there. The other... Bad juju. Bad juju. The other thing that is worth noting, just because I found this in an article from February 1987 about the shooting of Jaws 4 in Martha's Vineyard, at a city council meeting that was held in late November, which gives you a sense of how quickly this movie production was moving, um, one crusty old Yankee complained, the worst thing that ever happened to Edgartown was Universal Pictures and Ted Kennedy. <laughs> Yeah, so like Cha- I can see that. Chapel Quiddick? Yep, like, Chapel, Chapel Quiddick, Quiddick yeah. is, is in Martha's Vineyard, yes. So yeah, that's that gives you a sense of the, the uh, population's attitude <laughs> towards the production of Jaws uh, in, Chap- sorry, in Chapel Quiddick wow. or in, in Edgartown. So yeah, well, indeed. All right, so for myself, uh, yeah, I mean, I've, I've had a good time watching these four movies. Uh, I've had a good time revisiting Jaws. Jaws 2 I found very interesting if I thought it was a bit uneven. I think it was a movie of two halves. I liked one half very much. Found the other half less compelling. Jaws 3 was, you know, fun and interesting. I liked the high concept aspect of it. And I really liked Luke Gossett Jr. in it. And I think it was nice to see it in 3D. But I think you lose something when you watch it in 2D. And The Revenge, yeah. I mean, I had a good enough time with this. I found parts of it really kind of fun and sweet. I found other parts of it bad. And interestingly, the parts that I think I found bad were maybe not the parts that most people find bad, and maybe the parts that might generate some discussion when we get into the spoiler zone. With that in mind, we'll segue neatly into the spoiler zone.
Elizone. So, Jay, what is Jaws the Revenge about for you? You're not doing that question with this, are you? <laughs> I it think was a I, grand philosophical I, I th- statement. I, I think I know what it's about. I, sorry, I, I give I give others a chance first, but oh, I mean, Jesus, uh, <laughs> I, I'd forgotten the question. Um, <laughs> I don't know uh, what's Jaws for. Jaws Revenge about Jay frantically don't scribbles make, down. Don't make, ha- don't make hasty decisions in the the, the studio boardroom, perhaps. <laughs> well, um, it's a movie about a series of terrible bands. Yeah, well, that's true, and a movie about you know. Maybe it's not setting up lifelong enemies. There's <laughs> a way to live your life as a going forward. Um, and, you know, be careful who ca- who you cast as your children because you never know they could have taken away. Um, but yeah, it, like a, it's about making money, isn't it? Like, I mean, yeah. I mean, we should know, yeah. by the way, that, like, again, the Los Angeles Times ran a feature on the production of it to release, coinciding with the movie's release, called Jaws, The Smell of Money, which opened with the yeah. opening lead, A Way a Shark Smells Blood, Universal Studios Can Smell Money. And this was the inside access profile piece on the making of Jaws, The Revenge. So, I mean, it's far from the only film that's like, I mean, they all do it for large reasons. I mean, my God. All these movies are made for money it's not just yeah. sequels uh, but I, I suppose that there's a naked studio saving feel to it like that and a slight desperation to it that I think probably has put a lot of people off and is that better or worse though is that better or worse than like the, the usual hype of no this is a profoundly important movie to me I'm, and this means a lot I'm, this rad, is- I'm ambivalent about it I don't think it really makes much of a difference I, in the sense that if the film was better and it did better I think people would be, wouldn't be talking about it in any way in this kind of regard, I think it, like, as I said, I think the film is absolutely fine and good fun, but there's always one film that gets to be the, the kind of, the wave a stick at and say, you're the one that's X, Y, and Z and emblematic of X, Y, and Z, your heaven's gates or whatever. Like, yeah. you know, the, the kind of, the, there'll always be one of those. Yeah. Yeah. You're, you're, you're one that, you know, we say, there's the lesson we have to learn, you know, hubris and all that kind of stuff. Any Jared Leto movie. Yeah, yeah, pretty much it. Let's re-release it in the cinema again. (laughs) (laughs) All seven fans are clamoring for it on Twitter. It's morbid time. Yeah. So, like, there's always something that's like, you know, there's the warning from wherever. And it seems a bizarrely inoffensive one (laughs) to to be that guy. Like, you know what I mean? Relatively speaking, considering, like, the production in less than a year and Andy had Michael Caine knocking around the beach. I mean, you know, it's grand. Like, it's a grand time. And it is worth noting just in terms of like you mentioned the movie being singled out as that guy and you mentioned Andrew mentioned like a lot of good performances from a lot of good cast members and stuff like that. It's notable that like this was a this was a career career derailer or ender for several like key promising young people coming up through it. I mean, obviously, like Joseph Sargent, who is the director, right? We mentioned that he worked in television a lot. He was the guy responsible for launching Kojak. He directed the Corbinite Maneuver, which was the second episode of Star Trek, the first episode produced after the second pilot. But you have like he directed the taking of Pelham one two three. They're always like talking in about Corbinite in in Star Trek, in Star Trek aren't they? Yeah, they're well, like on the planet for no reason other than there's like well, Corbinite, Corbinite reserves. Yeah, or, well, that's how it was. Corbinite or it's a hundred <laughs> uh, meters below the surface. We're just doing a survey. Somebody watched the ship this week. Yeah. Um, but yes, yes, yeah, so like Joseph Sturgeon, like, the, you know, but he directed The Taking of Pelham 123, which is arguably like one of the great. Which is yeah. a terrific film. Yeah, yeah. One of the great 70s movies. And like, 
Do you want to guess how many movies, how many theatrical releases he directed after Jaws the Revenge? Uh, none. Yes, that is correct. The man is correct there. It zero. is zero. I, back to TV, I presume. Was back it? to TV. He did he's go very back. cheery about it. Oh, yeah. No, he seems quite ple- like he's he's so like he's generally seems quite pleasant about the whole experience. He's talked about how like when he signed on to direct the movie, this is the only Jaws movie that had absolutely no involvement with Spielberg whatsoever. Like we talked in the previous episodes, they asked Spielberg to do two. You got the Spiel- Mexican uh, it, non-union, non-union equivalent. <laughs> they Like for, uh, for, for three, they, you know, he was the one who vetoed Jaws three people zero and he was offered to direct the movie and he turned it down. But like this one, like Sargent's talked about how he only ever got a note from Spielberg. And like, it's one of those things where it's like Spielberg, is being is Spielberg being like sarcastic and ironic here in a way that like plays with his friendly movie dad granddad persona where he's like Joseph I just want you to know I picked up the script last night I had to put it down after 18 pages it was just so scary I wish you the best of luck Stephen and it's like okay you couldn't get through the end of the script um Wow. He's being nice. No, he is. He's he's, he's being Mm. nice. He did also describe in his letter making Jaws as like going to Vietnam, where it's like, once you've gone, you never want to come back and you'll never talk about it again. Yeah. Um, But yeah, like Joseph Sargent has been kind of like generally quite pleasant about like acknowledging and talking about it. But also like Lance Guest, who plays Michael Brody here who was, again, a, a young up-and-coming actor who was kind of on an upward trajectory. Bit of a honk. He, he is a kind of a, like an... Um, a bit of a Dennis uh, Quaid quality? Yeah. So you know, <laughs> the, the Wyatt looks a bit like Wyatt Russell. One of them looks a bit like Wyatt Russell. I can't remember which one it is. Yeah. I, I was thinking like a, 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 a hirsute, um, kind of more svelte army hammer. Um, yeah. Hopefully less problematic. Which, which, which you know, yeah. with the Jaws bite as well. <laughs> well yeah, uh, army. Yeah, army hammer is is playing the shark. <laughs> In the new Jaws. In the new Jaws. Um, but yeah, so so like Lance Guest, he'd come up through like Flight of the Navigator, which had been that. a hit. He he was in like Halloween. Oh, I remember. Too. That. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, he was in Halloween too and stuff like that. And again, do you want to guess how many movies, any theatrically released movies, he headlined after the release of Jaws: The Revenge? Well, I've never heard of them so before that, so not many. Zero. Zero. And that poor little kid as well. Who oh, oh, God. Yeah, yeah. yeah. no. Yeah. Le, le, no. That's, that's brutal. I only read about that the other day. Actually. That's, yeah. that's yeah. really... That's, that's, uh, she, she's great. She, yeah, she's she's, she's terrific. Judith Barassi yeah. as Thea Brody. Judith, yes. Judith Barassi, yeah. And we will um, include yeah. details of that in the show notes. We're not going to If you want to. No, I don't. I've read about those enough. Yeah, it's not. She was um, ducky in um, The Lamb Before Time. Do you remember that? That's dinosaur? right. Yes, John, yes, yes, loved yes. It. John oh Bluth, yeah. Perfect as the kind of cute child. And and she yeah. she she looked younger than she was as well. She would that 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 she would she would generally like get get cast for kind of um kind of seven or eight year olds. Even though she was nine yeah, or ten. Yeah. 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 And yeah. She, and she's she's quite good here as well. There's like there's a certain yeah. charmingness oh, to things. Yes, definitely. Charming. Which is which is again is kind of rare in a child actor and stuff like that. I mean I, I think a lot of the cast here is is very, very charming. I mean it is worth noting that like Gary uh takes home she's the lead. She's nominally the lead of the movie. Apparently Michael Caine got paid more, as you might expect. Uh though apparently he he does not get lead credit. He gets an and credit. Although oh. And for us very boring credits nerds, part of his contract for doing Jaws the Revenge was that whenever they included his name in print, they had to put a little box around it to draw the eye. So if you look at the poster for Jaws the Revenge, there's a little box around and Michael Caine as Hoagie. 
Um, that uh, was apparently no part, way. Yeah, that was apparently part of his kind of contractual. Um, did, did anyone look at Carla Brody and think, I know her. I know her from something. Carla no. Brody is Michael Brody's wife. She's the artist. Yeah. She's yeah. Agent Robin in The Sopranos. She's the one, she's one of the agents who kind of um, oh, mines Adriana. Oh, wow. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. I think there's two. Um, yeah. Or no, no, there's three, actually. Yeah. But yeah, no, I, like, I mean, so it, like, this is a movie that did become an example and kind of derailed a whole host of careers. I mean, like, again, Kane has talked about how... Karen Young, by the way. Yeah, Karen Young is her name. And Kane has talked about how, like, again, Kane didn't come into this knowing that, like, he was going to win the Oscar for Hannah and her sister. He says that, like, he hopped off Hannah and her sisters, which released in, like, January and February, which was a dumping season. He didn't know he was going to get an Oscar nomination. He certainly didn't know he was going to win. Um, and, like, he's talked about how the production ran so long uh, and ran so tight that they were doing reshoots up until the end where like he he couldn't go to collect his Oscar because they were working on this movie. He couldn't leave the set of Jaws, the Revenge in the Bahamas because they were working on this movie. So he couldn't collect his Oscar. He couldn't be there when he won. But he's talking about, yeah, how basically this ended up completely derailing his career for another, you know, decade and change until he won for the movie that Andrew memorably and classically and forever in my mind described as the folksy abortion movie. Um, yes oh yeah it's it's the perfect it's it's, it'll it'll automatically pull you into what it is but yeah it's kind of interesting that yeah this this he also like immediately like he hasn't even won the oscar and he's already derailed his career again which is kind of kind of remarkable and obviously this was the last movie for gary as well although as she said herself she had to be talked into doing it she talks about how surreal it was her husband coming home and being like, you're going to be in a blockbuster next next July 4th. And she's like, am I? It's like, yes, yes, you are. It's like, okay, sure. Um, she's like, I, I got paid very well for it. And I had a good time. And we went on holidays. And I got to be romanced by Michael Caine. Um, so it's like, I didn't have a bad experience making Jaws 4 either. Um, also, just on that, because it's worth like Scheider. Because this is something I kind of want to talk about here. Like, again, we do this, we've been doing, like, Jaws series, so I love that we've been checking in with Roy Scheider at each point to see his increasingly frustrated attitude with the Jaws sequels. So, like, obviously, he did Jaws 2 to get out of a contractual obligation with the Deer Hunter. He did, you know, when he was asked about Jaws 3, he took a big puff on a cigarette and laughed heartily, apparently, is how the interview described his reaction to being asked in Jaws 3. And then for an LA Times interview... Um, around the time of the release of Jaws the Revenge or he was asked he was phoned a telephone interview from Los Angeles he turned down an offer to appear in the new Jaws because quote we did Jaws once and we did it right I appeared in Jaws 2 because it was contractual obligation I didn't know I had I had to do it now I don't have to do Jaws anymore if I choose I could probably continue doing Jaws pictures for the rest of my life because it seems like Universal is going to do Jaws pictures for the rest of their lives I'm not joining the dance I like to imagine that he hung up the phone dramatically in response to that. Yeah. But apparently the plan was always going to be that uh, Brody would die first. He wasn't going to be a star of this movie. They wanted to bring him back as a cameo. They wanted him to die in that sequence where Sean dies at the start of the movie. Oh, okay. So it was going to be the shark would come back and get him. And apparently rumor has it, according to people who know Scheider, there were two reasons he turned it down. First reason is he didn't want to be the Vivian Lee. Uh, in the psycho version of this. He didn't want to be the guy who dies before the credits. And second of all, he maybe didn't want to be the guy whose wife then gets seduced by Michael Caine uh, in the second half of the movie, where he's not only killed off, 
but he's kind of like replaced by Michael Caine. Can we say? Yeah. I think that would have been great, though. Can I say that that is what? Wife, the if movie... I ever get killed off, I hope my wife is romanced by Michael Caine. <laughs> can I? Can I? That's all I'm saying. Can I say that that is what the movie is about? Yes. Yeah, it's not. It's not about like fear of a shark. Yeah. It's about Michael's. Michael's biggest fear is like like, is is actually like like because he's he. They're out hunting the shark, yes. and he's like. So tell me about uh, Hoagie. Tell, tell me about Hoagie. <laughs> and he he's so afraid of his 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 mother having a good time. Oh yeah. With this with this new man. Well, I mean, we talked about how like you know Jaws two picks up on the Vietnam War themes of the original Jaws. I think it's nice that like Jaws the and Revenge how, comes back to the Oedipal like. And how the shark thing. is a penis. The shark is a great giant gray penis, and the ocean is a big blue vagina. Yes, Andrew. And then, um, and then America is an island. And America is an island, yes. So, yeah. yes. Thank you, Andrew. But yeah, no, I, I, th- I think that is definitely a large part of it. It's about the idea of her finding love after a trauma and the idea of Michael not reacting well to that and kind of like re-traumatizing himself to a certain extent. Because like, by the way, and again, this is far from the least, far from the most important deleted plot from the movie. But do we know what Hoagie does, what Hoagie's career is? He drives the Lolita Express, right? Unofficially or unofficially, he looks like a drug runner, to be honest. Um, One of you is right, and it is not Andrew making... Was it Jeffrey Epstein? Yeah, no, thank, no, Andrew. <laughs> thank you, Andrew. I didn't need you to elaborate, but it's um... there's there's a one point. Um, uh, Thea is saying Prince Charlie, and who's that other prince? Okay, and then, all right. And then you have a deleted cameo where it's like talk, talking about why is, me. Why is he not sweating? Yeah. <laughs> but it's in the Bahamas. They were having like. Why is he not sweating? Not yeah, sweating. Um, but um. Yeah, no, no, Jay's right. The original draft of the movie, and it's kind of implied here because one of the things Michael asks is like, people are always smuggling stuff. I think he may be smuggling drugs. And the idea that he has this huge disposable income from this job that doesn't seem to be a job where he goes... And a permanent smile on his face. Yeah. And he goes to the casino and he gambles it away and it doesn't matter because he's going to pick it up. And when she asks what he does, he's like, oh, I I deliver laundry. And you're like, yeah, this guy's a drug runner. And apparently the original plot of the movie was that this was going to be thematically a second revenge movie so you would not only have the he shark could be a money mule like like he, he might he might be you know go, uh, bringing stuff to cayman islands or something like that okay well i mean i i'm, I'm more just working for he could be but it's from like from the original draft of the script and from the novelization by john searle he is a drug with the, with the voodoo Yes, which we will, the voodoo that you yeah. do. It, it, it does, ex- it almost explicitly says it's a drug. Right? It doesn't yeah, quite it say much it, but it does. pretty much says it, yeah. yeah. Um, but the idea is that in the original draft of the script, he was going to be working with the DEA to find the drug lords who had addicted his daughter to heroin and she had died of an overdose. And so the revenge in Jaws the Revenge was also not only going to be the shark avenging itself on the Brody family, it was also going to be Hoagie avenging himself on the people responsible for his daughter's addiction and drug abuse. That's, that's grand, like, but like, that's a, that's a, that's a, that's a Hail Mary four films into a <laughs> franchise for revenge, isn't it? Like, I, movie, we're supposed to care about this guy straight. I know he's Michael Caine, like, but you know, come on. Like. The movie, the movie was going to have, um, Hoagie get in a submarine and he was going to be the hero of the movie. And is there another word for a sandwich? You go to the sandwich <laughs> island. Oh my God. 
<laughs> Having said that, had they used a shark to kill the drug lords and tied that thing together, yeah. I'd have been all over it. You wonder if that's why they took it out because they couldn't quite square that circle where they had like that note on the I could have squared it for them. Not a bother. <laughs> uh, you like you say, listen, listen, Ellen. It's it's not gonna be easy. But you're you're gonna you're gonna have to marry this drug lord. Then (laughs) then the shark's gonna eat him as revenge. (laughs) Take away the one thing you love, but you don't love him. You love me. Um, thank you Andrew that's, that's why Andrew should have been the script doctor on Jaws the Revenge um, but yeah that was that was a plot line that was obviously dropped at various points during production and or filming of it uh, but yes let's talk about the voodoo shark the most famous uh, question mark that hangs over the movie again we mentioned the easy criticisms that are made of the movie but the idea of the shark the first first question for the group because I want to throw this open because I I'm not sure based not on the movie I just watched. Not left in movies these days. Yeah, I mean, I feel like there are reasons for that. I feel like yeah. there are good reasons why we don't. But cultural reasons. Yeah, why, why, why white filmmakers don't generally make voodoo the villain of their movies. But yeah. Um, Andrew's like, but on the other hand, voodoo. On the other, on the other <laughs> hand. It was a cool like, thing, like quicksand, though. Like, I will so say that. Like, I know cultural things aside, like I did like a voodoo doll and stuff the in really- the film. It did add a certain level of... Uh, Attention. There was True Detective, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. Which kind of, I think, got away with it by being more immersed in kind of Creole general, kind of like southern, southern-y kind, yeah, of, gothic thing. Yeah, kind yeah. of stuff. As, yeah. opposed, as opposed to here, where you've got Michael Caine fighting voodoo, which becomes a lot... Like, there's a weirdly James Bond vibe. Well, he's not Michael Caine in a book, is he? <laughs> in the novelization. <laughs> he refused... John Searle, who, by the way, wrote the novel of... The novel adaptation of Jaws 2. So John you Searle? Bet- is it John? Is yeah, the, the military. Hi- John Sir, the military the historian. Philosopher? Oh, okay. Never mind. <laughs> Who am I? Thinking? That's a very different film. Yeah. <laughs> he was low on cash and he needed the money. Um, but yeah, sorry, it is John Seal. Apologies, not John Searle. But it's Jaws Seal who wrote Jaws too. So you better bet I have some. I'm, what a name, though. If you're going to be writing Jaws films with John Seal, like, yeah, he also wrote Andre. Ron Seal that would have been even better. But sure, look, we can't get everything. A quick drying. It's a quick yeah, drying. Yes, indeed. Yeah. Um, and you better bet Darren has some inappropriately horny descriptions of sharks in his notes from the novelization of Jaws the Revenge. But I'm we, not shocked but, at all, but I hit me with them. But we we will get to those in a moment. Oh, okay. Um, can, I, can I say, do, do people remember the 90s movie Andre? It was kind of like uh, like Flipper, or um, but it was a seal. No. The, no. So I'm guessing this is kind of like the Free Willy wave, right? Cause you exactly. Because you had like Morgan Freeman in a dolphin movie around that time as well, didn't you? Yeah, but not a lot of people know that um, Andre <laughs> was actually one of the SEALs who killed Bin Laden. Well done, Andrew. Sorry. No, you <laughs> just Jesus. derailed. The- <laughs> It's like, does anybody know about this thing? <laughs> no, no, we don't. Well, I'm going to go ahead anyway. <laughs> if I wasn't at home, I'd head home right now after that. Okay, can I ask the the group, right? Because this is a note that came up, like we mentioned last, yesterday when we talked about like Jaws 3D, where the studio's big note on Jaws 3D was, can the shark be the same shark who died at the end of Jaws 2? Because we want the sequel to tie it all together. Is this meant to be the exact same shark that died at the end of the original Jaws? Because it does look like it has a lot of the same marks on its face, except sometimes it doesn't. Did anybody notice that? That the marks on the shark seem to appear and disappear? Probably because there were two models. I know there were two models, which is... So is this meant to be the same shark, or what is the deal here? No, 
know. I think Andrew hit upon it earlier on. I think there's a, to my mind anyway, and I'll see what Emma thinks in a second, that there's a mythical kind of fever dream element to this as a film that gives it a certain leeway with interpretation. Which is a nice way of doing it when you don't really know what you're doing. When you're going into production. <laughs> but like, if you're going to do it, do it that way. You know what I mean? Lead into the fact that like Ellen really can't let this shark go and she's manifested it here. Yeah. Uh, well, she seems to like psychically it. see it. Like when she it's does, attacking the boat. Yeah. And she's as, a- as even before that, like, like she, she's demanding things of the shark. This is the shark. Because even before anybody even knows anything's kind of happened. So there is a kind of, to my mind, it, it's the question isn't that whether it's shark or not. The question is that did she bring it here one way or the other? Did she manifest? She, she did bring it onto her family, like because she hasn't been able to quite leave it behind. Like it follows, but with sharks. <laughs> I love, I love the idea that you know not only is obvi- John, yeah, well he is a penis in the sea so I mean it, it follows fits perfectly yeah. like I mean, I mean not not only is Jurassic Park Jaws three but with dinosaurs it follows is like Jaws, Jaws or- is Jaws the revenge. Jaws is a woman yes, who is like- also a penis so it's like the alien from yeah. uh, from, from, alien, yeah. from Alien yeah um, um, but um, I mean Gary herself has a quote where she says the shark is the mythical incarnation of the same shark yeah there you go that's Gary's that response right. when she's asked on the press tour to explain the plot of the movie the mythical I mean, I mean, you're, you're the bigger fan of this I'm curious what you think it is by, the shark thing. By, by the way I, I just Darren Mooney'd myself where I, I when you said John Searle I was like oh that's the American philosopher and I, I looked him up and it's like oh yeah it is it's like Chinese room the idea of strong artificial intelligence and then it was like in June, June 2019 <laughs> Searle's status as Professor Emeritus of the University of California, Berkeley, was revoked for his repeated violations of the university's sexual harassment policies. I was like, oh. Jesus. You can't have nice things. No. You can't, yeah. You can't. There's no such thing as a hero. No. No. <laughs> All right. But, so, Emma, what about yourself? As our resident Jaws expert, what is the shark in Jaws for? In Jaws the Revenge? Oh, it makes no sense. Like, the like the shark got blown up at the end of Jaws. Footage that was so good. <laughs> <laughs> that we got to see it twice like no it like you can see that it's like spine i don't know if sharks have spine but like protruding like it's blown up and then it there's no mention of the jaws and two and jaws or the shark and jaws two being the same shark but now all of a sudden all these years later you're meant to be and i think they could have actually done a way more believable you hear these stories especially from irish mothers of like I woke up with such a migraine and then I found out that, you know, my uncle across the world died. died across the way. Yeah, female intuition. You hear these stories all the time. They're kind of meant to be taken in jest. They're a real Irish thing, I think. Because there is one bit when she's dancing with Hoagie at the parade. Yeah, and she she kind of flashed it, yeah. She has the vision. But it's like, it's almost as if like, is she, like, can she sense the shark or can she sense her one and only living child is in peril? Because some women say that they feel like they feel or that is way. Is she the shark's mother? Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Well, I mean, like the climax of the movie has know? her flashing back to like events of Jaws, where like it's just Hopper, it's just sorry Hooper, and you know Quint and her husband on the boat that she couldn't possibly know about unless yeah. she had a psychic link to the shark. Uh, I was that like only Scatman Crudders knows about. <laughs> Don't be reading my mind between seven thirty and eight. That's Willie's time. <laughs> but I think it's, it's so nice that Jaws has uh, gives Ellen a lot of 
airtime because I feel like if you had just seen the first one you'd be disappointed because she she is in a, the book a lot now I know the storyline she's in yes. you know I'm yeah. glad they're changed no one no one likes the whole like affair storyline with Hooper but I'm glad that she did get some airtime yeah, yeah do you not know this from the novel like Peter Benchley I, I have never and will never read a Peter Benchley novel just stop go on so somebody tell me go on tell she's me. yeah they haven't so she starts meeting up with Hooper and they really ho- hone in on the whole like Hooper is this moneyed man is you know you your hands have only counted money all your life and uh, the one thing I can remember because I actually quite liked the book in certain ways but I'll never forget there's just one scene where Hooper and Ellen meet up and they're having the chats and then they're talking they're having a very sexy talk and Hooper's like oh and you do you have a rape fantasy and she's like yeah of course I do and he immediately it's like it's 70s man it's 70s man and then I think he asks like is, is the man like a man of colour or is it like something really f- like awful and racist but the fact that she was like of course I have a rape scene as the only woman here I can tell you that's not a normal thing to say as a woman like it was really creepy that whole affair and then Hooper dies at the end of yeah. the novel sorry spoiler yeah well he died at the end of the film they, they changed it in reshoots which is something we'll come back to appropriately when we talk about the ending of Jaws 4 yeah doesn't he I thought that I thought that ending was changed because he like they do they eat the remember they eat the fucking cage and it really does yeah. seem like he's, but then he survives and just swims up at the end after they've shot all the climax. On, it does have attack on. After they've it. shot all of the climax and all the action that they couldn't possibly reshoot with Richard Dreyfus, so it's like, yeah, no. Oh yeah. And yeah, I do love, yeah. the, I do love that Dreyfus repaid them by never coming back to make another <laughs> Jaws movie. He was offered a cameo here where it would be a voice on the phone. Which I find Indeed, he said he can, we can't get him. He's in the Antarctic. No, oh, that was Jaws Two, where he was also. Oh, was it? Yeah, that was also. Oh, Jesus! Offered, okay, I've mixed them up. I watched them all very close together. I, I love that they just offered him these like low energy cameos, and he was just like, oh, not not even <laughs> not even that. I respect that. Yeah, um, so but sorry. The, um, so in 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 the book, there's a Dreyfus affair. Nice. Yes. Oh Very man, nice. you're on fire tonight. Yeah. By the way, like I do think that yeah, I kind of I kind of like the way that we're talking about like Gary as like this like you know seventies esque James Bond where she has the string of affairs with like really handsome hot seventies men, and I'm like, would Richard Dreyfus add or subtract from that? Like so obviously Shider uh, in the short somewhat subtract. <laughs> subtract. Uh, to be honest, like they did, like they they really Hooper is the biggest change from book to film. Like Richard Dreyfus is so charming. I'd almost say there's kind of like an asexual quality about him now I love The Goodbye Girls one of my favourite rom-coms yeah, yeah. ever and he's so good in that he's you're very unlikely romantic that I think they did they they like in, in the book he's this like young hot like probably like a Yale educated very smart good looking man who like lures in Ellen Brody whereas Richard Dreyfuss as lovely as he is and charismatic as he is is not that he's not your quintessential like young oh, yeah. dreamboat that you want to run off into the sunset with well we've seen always right we've seen the Spielberg attempted romantic yes. comedy that almost derailed his career right I no. don't hate always okay alright That's all I it's a romantic comedy with Richard Dreyfuss and Holly Hunter which is yeah. an interesting oh. combination and John Goodman yes don't forget John Goodman no, it's a menage a trois that'd be amazing wouldn't it <laughs> No wonder his career got derailed. God damn you, Stephen. That's not going to play in a romantic. <laughs> sorry, sorry, sorry. Um, all right, so let, let's talk a little bit about the shark then. So I did promise some uh, gratuitous uh, John Seal quotes Maybe. here. So like in the novel, 
right? And and this is something that people get wrong, where people think that the shark has been resurrected by voodoo. They think that in the novel, the shark is resurrected by voodoo and directed against the Brody family. That is not exactly what happens. It, oh man, I really want that to be incorporated into the film explicitly. Yeah, no, it, it turns out anyway, it turns out it is the shark. It is the child. And this is this is some great oh, franchise building. It is the child of the shark from Jaws and the shark from Jaws too, which is controlled by a voodoo chieftain and driven to the Bahamas to avenge itself on the family, which is somehow I think even better than resurrecting the shark from Jaws. I, I Wait, I'm so lead, confused. Leading to well, here maybe this paragraph will explain it to you. Oh, I doubt the, it. <laughs> the great white drifted lazily for a while. He was near the waters in which he'd been conceived, sired by a male almost as big as he. His mother, enormous, gravid with young, had swept through Amity Sound like death itself. So the idea is that, yeah, the shark, like he was apparently, according to the novelization for Jaws 4, this shark was conceived from, by the shark from Jaws. Its mother... By two enormous Two sharks, enormous sharks. Which one is which? One like, so the, the father is the one from Jaws. And the mother is the one from Jaws so, too. So it and, is a woman. Oh no, Emma! I have I have even better news for you. I'm, we have like a payoff for a long running thread in this week long miniseries, which we'll come to in a moment. Emma is vindicated and validated here. All, but, all, uh, all, all, all yes. of the sharks in the park are female. Yes, yes. Um, it's it's a it's a method of population control, Andrew. But um, <laughs> but no, like yeah. So nature it, it, will um, <laughs> find uh, a way. Find a way. But apparently, yes. Apparently, according to the novelization of the Revenge, the shark gave birth during that sequence at the end of Jaws two, where it's getting like electroshocked. So the sequence where the shark is biting the power line. I mean, that, that, that'd do it though, wouldn't it? It shot out a child. Because that's how like giving I mean, birth works. Really. You get electrocuted and then you shoot. If only it was that easy. Like, that's such a man thing to write. <laughs> but yes, so, so we talked about the inappropriately horny Jaws books, which have very interesting sexual politics. <laughs> Throughout their kind of tenure. Um, but yes, Emma is entirely correct here. All the sharks in the Jaws films are female as they appear on screen. In fact, one of the watchwords when they were making Jaws the Revenge was realism. Here's here's a headline from a feature article published in the LA Times realism. as the film they, was they, released. They, they had an actual shark like OBGYN yeah. <laughs> like consulting. Yeah. So... Yes, it's Jaws season this summer, but the shark shrank. Universal Pictures, which has made more than $382 million domestically on the original Jaws, is banking this time around on ultra-realism. The strategy of Sidney J. Scheinberg, president of MCA, parent company of Universal's, goes something like this. The original Jaws was a smash because it was frighteningly believable. Almost too believable, psychologists tell us. Jaws 2 (laughs) was so-so. Because the monster grew and became just another hokey fish. Jaws 3, yes, there was a Jaws 3, was a 3D dog that deserved extinctions. Experts agreed that the allure of the first Jaws was realism, and they set out to create a great white shark even more frightening and true to life. Last fall, producer-director Joseph Sargent were given, sorry, were given a cram course in sharks. They were aware that BBC and PBS documentaries have been made called Jaws the Inside Story. They're fascinated by trivia of science and scientific data gathering, shark stomach temperatures, paleotropic extensions, eyeball Stop. rotations, crystal-coated diodes and transmitters, and even Oil how one gets crammed. Yep. 
Sargent wanted all of this reflected in the screenplay. And you have here, there we go. No detail was ignored, save one, the sex of the shark. Bruce, named for, jo- for Spielberg's atone- attorney on the original Jaws, like his, actually her predecessors, lacks claspers, the pair of five-foot-long intermittent organs used by male sharks to inseminate their mates. The majority of views in the film were not allowed one to look beneath and behind, but, I apologize for this, elasmobranchologists, that's ichthyologists who study sharks and rays with a keen eye might catch the detail. So yes, all three sharks or all four sharks in the Jaws movies are female. You are vindicated, Emma. Uh, thank you, but I thought you said that the sh- the j- the shark in Jaws of Revenge is the child of the two sharks in the first two films. That's novelization. That's 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 not you okay. know, canon, canon and continuity. It, nobody was really thank thinking you. that hard about it. But yes, biologically, uh, based on the model designs. I got I got to be honest I'm, though. I like the idea of the shark taking it upon itself to go to the Bahamas better than I like the idea of the original. I like the, the shark waking up and saying, yeah, I've got to get after that family. And so quickly. They've had it coming for a decade and now. And racing a commercial airline. And they, yeah, exactly, yeah. Exactly. And following the flight path. Yeah. It's like the bang, bang of... Sorry, I was about to use it. Uh, uh, never mind. Sorry, I, I, was, I was about to say the ba- a bang of... Um, off of that family and um <laughs> now it seems like i was going to say something worse <laughs> um, just, which you probably were let's face yeah. it yeah it's just that they're a smelly family and that it, it, it followed them over to to um, but I, I do love that they have the sequence where sean brody cuts his finger at the start so you think that you might get a sequence where his blood drops in the water and the shark yeah. is like i know that blood i recognize the I... smell of that family's blood but it, God damn it, Brody! <laughs> yeah. Oh well, well he he lets it in the sink. Yeah, and then eventually, oh, it, it gets down it, to the water, yeah. winds his way. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Like, can it, we um all agree? I think Sean Brody's death is probably the most traumatizing of all the franchise. I don't know why. It, it's full on. I have to say, it's, I was I, I was I felt that unexpected. It's, it's so visceral arm. or something. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, and he's all on his own. And yeah, the, the, and the choir so... singing over it as well adds like yeah, yeah, yeah. a nice dissonance to it as well. Effectively. I thought it was great. Uh, great opening. It's really effective. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, definitely a really great opening. And I do love, by the way, that like Jake's death, <laughs> like the moment where like not only does obviously like Mario Van Peebles get eaten by a shark, but like it's incredibly graphic. Like he's very yeah. clearly yeah. in the shark's mouth as it's yeah, chewing yeah. on him. So, yeah. And then he just shows up at the end because test audiences apparently love the character so much. Um, famously, like, this was a movie that where the production schedule was... What? He got hoopered. Yeah, he did get... He, got, he did get hoopered. Um, <laughs> His I mean, like, guts are hanging out. How are you, didn't like was it the line that Peebles wrote was I didn't like spicy food or something like that. But, um, but like, you have... Oh, God. You have this, this kind of, like... But the thing is that, yeah, he was originally meant to die and then test audiences. Here's the thing. Because production schedule was so tight on this movie, they ended up doing reshoots after the movie was released. We had a proper cat situation where the movie's original ending... They were t- taking the penis off the shark. <laughs> audiences just aren't aren't responding to this. As we- it's canon. Ring. It's canon. <laughs> Remove the canon. Yeah. Um. <laughs> but like, yeah, so the, the, the ending as it originally was would have featured the shark obviously eating Jake and then impaling itself on the mass of the ship through the heart and dying. Which is, by the way, 
the shark exploding on impact is like a meal in Robocop. <laughs> Obligatory <laughs> Robocop, Robocop reference. reference. Nice. That was the amendment that was made. They released it in theaters and audiences were like, oh, I don't really know if we like this. So they came back for reshoots. They saved Mario Van Peebles' character. Apparently he shot that on the Universal Studio lot. And they also exploded the shark. And that's why if you watch that sequence, there aren't really any wide shots and there aren't really any like details. There aren't, it's not, it's like a very clumsy, very low budget sequence because they're like, yeah, we need, we need this, this, this kind of movie to have a, a bigger ending. We need the ending to it be. It needs a pop, but not it, too big of a pop because <laughs> we can't really do much. Yeah. So it's like, what if the shark exploded? And it's like, sure. We've done it before. Yeah. Let's go into the archives. <laughs> yeah. We've got, we've got the footage here, but yeah, that is why the shark explodes at the end because they released it and audience is like, ah. Eh. Doesn't feel very satisfying. They're like, but what if the shark exploded? And it's like, why would it explode? Just what if the shark exploded? Um, which is kind of amazing. I love that there's no reason or justification. Because it's like, but okay. Did the shark give birth before it exploded? That's <laughs> such question. a good question. Yeah. That's what I want to know. The shark's the grandson, like... Our granddaughter of the original shark. No, like, yeah. I think the, the, um, the transceiver inside it was 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 make was making its insides into mush and then like it was just a balloon full of like um shark uh, meat and um uh, like all all kind of um well jake is a pretty bad stuff. oceanologist i don't i wouldn't put it past him to have put some c4 in that transceiver just in case um but like i mean and and like again it's kind of interesting i don't know if it's intentional i don't think it is but there's an interesting thing where like jake and michael's subplot feels very much like the making of the movie where you have like michael is down he's cataloging snails and jake is like damn it man you can't be cataloging snails we only have so much longer to make this movie that we're making hurry up and find a shark um, three months and we're out of money yeah that's it exactly and it's like they gotta find and then he's like there shark that's exactly what this this project needs it needs a shark i kind of like that the movie is like yeah no this is a a documentary of its own making where like it's like what do we have jake and michael do we have them talk about how hard it is to make jaws the revenge um but actually uh jay emma is there anything else we're talking about with regards to the movie anything we haven't discussed already anything about you? Emma, uh, what's, oh, sorry. i think we're sorry i would mention and just one thing i brought up i really liked ellen's nightmare in it yeah, um, that's, that's really a very alien. Really that's a very yeah, yeah, aliens yeah. riff there. That's another kind of like oh, yeah, yeah. this was taken mm-hmm. from aliens thing. But sorry, but I liked it. It, it worked within the film, particularly kind of at the point it happened as well. Um, and I was like, kind of, it was kind of at that point into the film, I was like, is this a lost great film? Because uh, <laughs> I like I was hitting that point very early. I was like, okay, I've had a couple of glass of wine here, but. I'm digging it. Yeah, when when did you start drinking watching this? It was like 21 minutes for me. Uh, a, a little a little while before, Andrew. I'll, I'll put it like that. But, um, <laughs> I like that you took a run at it. You took a run at your I did. Well, you know, I'm a professional. And like at that point, I was like, this might be really good. You know, it doesn't sustain that level, of course. But, you know, even to get to that level at a, about 30 minutes in or so, I was like, I, I'm really digging this. I was like, go, go, uh, Oh, Jaws the Revenge. Yeah. yeah. Uh, but Emma, sorry, what is it about for you? If you were to summarize like Jaws the Revenge, what is it about for you? What is it about for me? Yeah, money. Same as Jaws 3. Like, <laughs> it, it is about money. But, oh God, if you want to go into the themes, like, you know, female trauma, all those buzzwords that are going to get people interested. But 
yeah, no, it's about money, but it's about also nothing as well. It's just so like it, there's so there's such like it's so nonsensical at the same time as having like a pretty solid plot or like solid kind of characters and themes. Like the like the whole thing about is it Carla, his wife? Because I think she gives a great performance and as the artist, have, as the artist, and we and like and I love that she's an artist and she has her Tour- own job. She's not tourist just on the loose. Yeah, but like that whole scene where they're fighting and like obviously there's this distance between them. He's so stressed. And then it just kind of, they don't talk about anything and then they just have sex in the shed and you're meant to be like, oh, cleared up. Like, like no, some of it just really doesn't make sense. Like there are gaping holes in the well, film. I mean, th- there's also the moment where he's looking at the window at like Michael Caine and his mother and she's like, what, you know, I'll solve this problem if we have sex. Um, like it's very much a recurring motif here. Isn't it? Like, oh, like the sexy kind of cool artist wife as opposed to like, because there was no sexiness really between Michael and his incarnation of his girlfriend in Jaws 3 so now they were like let's come on let's let Mike have some sex in this one I think but um deserved to after all he's been through exactly yeah <laughs> give him some warning this. but I love the way Andrew was like did anyone hear the, the shark roar whereas in this one they went full Godzilla at the end like that shark <laughs> is roaring <laughs> like, like a and lion. they just don't care yeah. like a lion and it's like and it's like twitching I know like probably sharks do that but it's literally full on growling like multiple times I love that bit it's so stupid but I adore it and I, I love where they stab it in the face with the rest receiver as well which just seems like for these guys they're supposed to be marine biologists it just seems kind of pointlessly cruel they're idiots (laughs) Michael Michael wasn't always a marine biologist in fairness he 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 did work at SeaWorld he was an engineer Mm. who just happened to work at SeaWorld followed his girlfriend to Venezuela um, left her but but, uh, became a marine biologist Whom's among us, Andrew? Yeah, very storied <laughs> life that we've lived here. Like, like, did he did he go down to Venezuela? Did he get a job creating like another kind of sea world? Superstar. Yeah. <laughs> I think a spin-off. I mean what this this is this is the kind of, well okay, first of all with with regards to the this, Sean, by the way, got over his fear of, of the water of yeah. the water, thanks to Leah Thompson, who doesn't return. Yeah. Well nobody returns. This is a very much a like a wiping of the blank slate. Forget Jaws 3, there never was a Jaws 3, which is something that sequels are increasingly doing these days. Like again, Jaws the Revenge feels weirdly prescient. Like we talked about the stuff that the stuff that I don't like about it isn't the cinema sins. Huh, how'd the shark swim that fast? How'd the shark uh, come back to life? How'd the shark know that it's the Brodies? It's like, look, this movie was made in nine months. I accept that you had to cut various corners. And I understand that, like, it was Sid Scheinberg down the phone saying, it's gonna be the same shark from the first two movies. People would have seen them having sex. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But, like, my my issue with this movie is the way in which it it seems to predict certain trends in modern blockbusters. Where it's the one where it's like, Forget the previous installments that didn't work. Let's go back to the original. Let's reboot it. And let's like just erase what happened. And Newt see if... is dead. What? Newt is dead. Yeah, that sort of stuff. It's it's like, for example. Yeah, so is uh, the cat. <laughs> yeah, it, it's like, for example, like the Halloween recent David Gordon Green Halloween movies. Which yeah, are like, yeah. Forget about all the Halloween movies that happened in between. The the upcoming Exorcist movie, for example. Uh, things I like, like the, the way Alien the 3 Neo- does it, though. Well, no, well, in, no. in the sense that Aliens was such a huge success. So, like, why would you undercut anything from that movie? And it's like, 
No, we are. No, no, they, no. They, like they Alien, Alien, completely throw it out. Alien like, Three, I don't. Alien Three, I love because yeah. Alien Three, like it acknowledges all that. Like it, it has Newt there. It, like you sit through the autopsy of a nine-year-old child. It doesn't like pretend that aliens didn't happen. Right, right. It like acknowledges aliens and says we're not doing that and we're not doing that in graphic detail, which is fine. I'm more talking about things like, for example, Halloween, the the 2018 Halloween, which is like, yeah. we never made a sequel to the 1979 movie. We certainly oh. didn't run the franchise into the ground. Well, uh, i tell you something, their sequels of Halloween are better than the David Gordon Green films. Way, way better. Uh, all of them. Okay. But, well, maybe not all of them, but most of them. Okay. Okay. But you I'm can talking, probably get away with I, that. I understand the principle you're making. I'm, the I'm point talking more about the, right. the general argument of that, where it's things yes. like, yeah. where you have, for example, the argument that Neil Bonkamp was going to come and do... Alien 3 but right which would erase that stuff that Andrew mentioned and would pick up from Aliens as if Alien Alien Resurrection had never happened and would just kind of erase those movies from the canon because people don't like them and the way that this does this with Jaws 3 where it's like nobody liked Jaws 3 right we could just erase it and pretend that it happens and like the the interesting nostalgia that's threaded through this movie where a lot of this movie and again this is the thing about talking about these movies in quick succession Andrew mentioned it when he talked about Jaws 3, where it's interesting to look at the sequels to Jaws, where you have Jaws, which is the masterpiece of the original. You have Jaws 2, which is the standard first sequel. It's the movie where you just make it again. You bring back as much of the cast as you can, and you just make Jaws again. And you just kind of like follow and expand on that. And you have like a character who's traumatized by what happened. Then you have, oh, that didn't work. So you try the other sequel approach, which is try something off the wall, completely insane, completely unrelated. We're going to SeaWorld. We're going to shoot this one entirely in Florida. We're only going to shoehorn in the Brody Boys because that's a script note from Universal. It's going to be something completely different. We're going to have two sharks in it. Uh, There's going to be a mother and a child. uh, And it's going to be like completely off the wall. It's going to be unlike the first two. No real connection to them whatsoever. And then you have this, which feels more like a kind of, again, a more modern sort of sequel where it's like, hey, you remember the first movie, right? What if we not only remind you of it using like stock footage and like it's very obvious even early on in Amity where you have the sequence with the character returning at one of the Amity villagers returning. I can't remember her name, but she's the one with the big glasses. Oh, sorry. No, yeah, you, 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 you have. um... She was on the town council. Mrs. Camps or something. Yeah. Yeah. Um, But you have her coming back, for example. Yeah, it it is. It's Fritzy Jane Courtney as Mrs. Taft. You have her coming back and then you have the shot of like Martin Brody kind of on the wall where it's it, it almost feels like something from like a Leslie Nielsen kind of comedy movie, like where it's supposed to be like it's supposed to be a comedy picture of him because it's so large and it's like so centered in the frame. <laughs> and so prof- couldn't catch it it's so <laughs> professional. I think a picture can we get away with yeah. here. Uh, it's fine. It's yeah. fine. And it's like the, Brody sure does some nice glam, glam shots as well. And then you have like flashbacks to Brody, which are literally sepia tinted to instill the sense of like the nostalgic remembered kind of golden past. And then you have like the recreation of particular scenes and like most obviously that sequence. And again, I think it's very cute because I think like Thea is Jewish, Judith Barcy is very good. Yeah. But the sequence where Thea and Michael are doing their pantomime at the table, which only really works because you don't really, I don't, you don't have a sense of the relationship between Thea and Michael. Like you have a rela- sense of the relationship between Thea and her grandmother, but you don't really get a sense of how yeah. she relates to her dad. But that sequence only really works because it recalls a similar sequence with Brody and Michael. I, I disagree and, there. I, I, okay. I, I, I think it also works because there's truth to it. Like it, it feels like a really real thing. Like, like does your mother 
her father not ever kind of say, oh, what you did there is so like your grandfather would do. Like, because the, the, I always get told kind of like, that's a certain kind of like qualities that it's that thing of kind of nature breaking through a stone wall where the, uh, like, uh, through the generations, you have these little small kind of gestures that's, that, that, or, yeah, and, but my think my thing is more that it, it's it's part of a larger pattern. So it's like then you go to the climax, and the climax is pretty much exactly the same climax as the original Jaws, where the characters, like having been menaced by the shark from the beach, they set out into the ocean to directly confront the shark, and there's a confrontation on the boat, which is, and you know, at least in Jaws two, there's an island, there's Cable Island that at least makes it a bit different, yeah. and there's the idea of the kids, which makes it slightly different, rather than well the leads of the movie are on a boat together confronting a shark and then the shark explodes, which is very directly like, at least in Jaws 2, it's like the shark bites an electric cable and gets burnt as opposed to, no, the shark, the shark just explodes. And like, we mentioned that that's something that happened in reshoots because the original ending didn't pop, but it really does feel like it's, well, the shark, the shark explodes not because of any reason to do with the plot or any reason to do with the narrative. The shark explodes because, well, the shark exploded in the first Jaws and that's how it ended. People like so, to see things explode. Yeah, people do like to... <laughs> that's a fair point. I, I, but, I don't disagree with what you're saying there. Like, you're more informed on wider trends than I would be on, the, on these things. And yeah, you're probably correct in how sequels or films are ignored, how we go back to certain films like being canon, etc. What I will say, though, and... This is maybe particular to me and not a general health view. I've, I've, no, I've, I've never really kind of thought about it in this regard or not. Regardless of any franchise, and I've watched a shed load of terrible franchises over, particularly since lockdown <laughs> era, uh, regardless of whether something is canon or not, something is ignored or not, something is whatever, an outlier in whatever series is, I'll watch all of them in, when, they're, when they're made, from when the first was made to when the last one's made. And I... To my mind, I don't give a hoot whether one fits in with oh, no. such and such. or Like, it doesn't make a difference. Is the film any good? Does it kind of keep me going to go on to the next one? And even if it's kind of terrible, like the Friday 13th ones, I will get Jason X eventually. So it's all good. You know what I mean? It's <laughs> yeah. all gravy, no matter which way you get it. Like, and, and to, to, to be, But I don't disagree with your original and, point, though. I, I think you're probably right. But I, I just don't care, I suppose, is the way I'd look at it. And to be clear, I like there are movies that fit this category that I really like. I like the David Gordon Green movies more than you do, and they're a continuity reset. Everybody I, likes David Gordon Green movies more than I do. I like, you know, the Rob Zombie Halloween 2 almost as much as you do. And that is a, a separate continuity. I don't mind yes. that stuff. It's the cynicism of the calculation like that, like that, that's the stuff that bugs me. Where it's like, instead of you're going to honor the franchise, you're going to bring the franchise back, but you're going to erase what came before because I would agree. that 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 is the thing. I will say though, I think that there's less cynicism here. I think than say something like Terminator, where they'll wheel Cameron out every time a new one comes out, and say this is the best <laughs> one. This is going to show you how the sequel's going to be done, and then you go and see it. It's done. And then five years later, you go, oh man, this is the original sequel to Terminator 2. This is what the film should have been all along. And it's crap. We've had, and it's like, Cameron, stop coming out and telling terrible bloody Terminator we've films. Had four, I find that even more cynical and worse. Four Terminator 3s. We've had four. Yeah, we've not, we've, they're all terrible. We've never had a Terminator 4, but we've had four Terminator 3s, which is astounding. It's absurd. Absolutely. And you know whose fault it is? Terminator 2. <laughs> it turned Arnie into a good Terminator. He ruined the whole franchise. Yeah, they could never get themselves out of the corner. So what you're saying is he should have been a neutral Terminator. That's what you're saying. He should have been killed off and then went to a different way. But they'll never do that, so it doesn't matter. Uh, and that's that's where you're stuck. Yeah. I feel like... Uh, uh, I, I, I can't think of that many good uh, Cameron movies, aside from Terminator. Okay. 
Like we I, I do- we are not doing this now. Agreed. I don't know, wait, this is the extended to Cameron podcast. No, that's what I was promised. I, I, Andrew I, promised me this. Really, There's going to be 45 minutes set aside. I, I love, by the way, that it's like we're talking about the Jaws franchise. It's like, no, we're going to retell it. It's just like Cameron. How does well, he the thing about, so the, thing about the Jaws franchise, though, it's that it's just... It, they feel like there's so little stakes to them yeah. beyond Jaws that yeah. it doesn't really matter. Do you know that kind of yeah. way? It's a, it's a gentler kind of cynicism, but, I guess. Well, that's, and a cynicism nonetheless. Like, that's the thing. Like There are no genetically engineered super sharks. There's never a moment where the shark breaks the water and it's the size of Amity Island. And like you have... Like Richard, a Meg. Yeah, you have like yeah. Richard Dreyfus going, we're going to need an even bigger boat. Um, there's no <laughs> moment like that. Sorry. Oh. Can I say as well, I, I, I think for the most part, with something like Halloween... Um, it doesn't matter as in as in that all Halloween kind of like means is a certain sort of brand recognition for the most part. The people going out to see that movie have never seen like any of the. the and that is why movies. Halloween three is the best Halloween sequel. Um, but we don't have we don't have time to get it. In- I, I, I wouldn't disagree with it in general. I, it probably wouldn't be top, but I. It'd be in the mix. But um, in terms of, just because we're talking about that, like, I think there is something interesting in the way in which these movies become slashers. We talked about this a bit with Jaws too, but it's definitely the case here where the shark is stalking a particular family. Like it's, yeah. it, it, the shark is a slasher villain here. The shark is Michael Myers, right down to the fact that it does have the facial scars in it. So, you know, as you said, like when we talked about Jaws 2, where it's it gets Kate burnt. <laughs> yeah, it, it's literally Cape Fear. If we'd have seen a shark stepping on a rake, it'd have been incredible. <laughs> <laughs> no, but I, I think it's, it's, it's the 2018 Halloween in terms of like an older woman, she's protecting her young, her child, her grandchild. As Jamie Lee Curtis told us a million times, the film is about female tra- trauma or whatever way she said it. It's, there's loads of similarities between it, between Jaws of Revenge and the tw- 2018 Halloween. All right. Uh, but yeah. Interesting. All right. Is there maybe she meant trauma? <laughs> it's very like uh, it's it's Larry. Budget wise and look wise, particularly Jaws three. Well, this cost twenty million dollars. This was the first Jaws movie not to make a profit at the American domestic box office. Uh, I presume it made a profit in general over oh, the it, period of time or whatever. It did. It made fifty six million dollars worldwide, which is almost three times its production budget. Which is one of those like it makes it surprising that there never was uh, like a Jaws five because you have like. Of Jaws the Revenge, so this is in December 1987, after the movie's been released, after it's been, like, already become a joke, after comedians are touring making sets about it, um, after it's underperformed the American box office. But talking to the LA Times on, like, the at the end of 1987, Sid Sheinberg, the unspoken hero of this miniseries, apparently, has said, somewhere down the line, somebody will say there's a demand for another one. And I love the way will he, be. I love the way he phrases that. It's not somewhere down the line there will be demand. Somewhere down the line somebody will say there's demand for this. I agree, <laughs> but I will say though that Jaws and indeed myself will be fifty years old in in two thousand twenty five, uh, and is it fifty? It is fifty. Jesus. Um, so I wouldn't be surprised if Darren has inadvertently manifested <laughs> uh, a Richard Dreyfus sequel or indeed a prequel. They are an extended oh, Jaws Quint, universe the or something of like young that. Like, yeah, yeah. I don't want to see that. What? I don't want to. I don't want to see a young Quint. I want to see an, a, like a gnarled kind of. But it, what it, what I think it'll be though is a uh, it'll be a HBO series set on the young kind of uh, young Jaws characters and how they came together. And the last scene will be when they meet up in Jaws or something like that. Yeah. Like, you know yeah. they're gonna do it like. 
I'd watch it, but you know they're going to do it. Do it in Indianapolis. Or they could do a series about making Jaws. That's more than likely. Like the Godfather. Well, that, that's, what, that's what Paramount did. Like, Paramount wanted to, like, when Paramount wanted to cash in on The Godfather, which was another one of those classic 70s movies that was deemed untouchable, first thing they did was they re-edited, um, like... Oh, yeah, into this, the, 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 the long, long period one, the, yeah, the, the chronologically... Uh, yeah, but they also re-edited, obviously, the death of Michael Corleone as well and stuff yeah. like that. And, like, part of me is surprised that we haven't seen, like, an alternate version of Jaws the Revenge or Jaws 3D, like a remastered like version. Yeah. Um, but like they also then, as Emma said, they made the offer where it's like the making of it. So like we're yeah. not yeah. going back to it, but we are going back to it. So I, I think, think, yes. Three, he, three is the one that would be improved the most. From, by a re-edit. Uh, yeah. yeah. And, a, and a full 3D <laughs> kind of cinema release, I'd be there. Yeah. Just to see it, see it, see it. It just fly, make just it crack, like. overall look less crappy. <laughs> <laughs> Um, all right, then. Is there anything else we're talking about? Anything we want to say? So, Jay, anything you want to say about Jaws the Revenge? Uh, no, but uh, what I will say is that last night to complete my um, my Sharksploitation night, our series, I watched uh, Bruno Mattai, who's an Italian filmmaker who does extremely questionable, vaguely legal things with films, a.k.a. he repurposes footages, footage from films to make his own films. In 1995, he made a film called Cruel Jaws, which is... Um, <laughs> Which he, which he, he the director's name it's him, but it's it's uh it's something William Snyder, Snyder I think William Snyder hashtag release the Snyder cut really exactly and I watched it last night and it's an absolute scream it's uh it's basically he's taken footage from various Jaws films various other Italian horror knockoffs there's no shark like you didn't get a shark all the reaction <laughs> shots are from other films and I tell you two things about it that's interesting one the final act is goes like gangbusters and it's a hell absolute time and a half and two using <laughs> using repurposed footage of sharks looks better than cgi in films so you're better off doing that than spending 20 million quid or whatever a cgi shark will cost you because it'll look better 20 or 30 years from now um and god bless him he like he's he's made a film called robo wars as well which is a kind of half predator half robocop film set in the 80s jungle in venezuela well then and Anders- all Andrew's he's made something tree he's made he's made all sorts he's, he's made all sorts of genre weird pictures terrible actors pretty much across the board but an absolute scream and i would heartily heartily recommend cruel jaws to anybody it's in english terribly acted it's a guy that looks like cole cogan is the main character it's it's baffling but and listeners can hysterically tell entertaining. Can tell when andrew is actually going to take a guest recommendation because he actually writes it down in his notes and circles <laughs> Uh, Cruel Jaws, Andrew, you will not not be sorry. Um, and Emma, as our Jaws expert, having joined us for this discussion across these four episodes, having revisited the franchise, having been the person who spurred this miniseries into being, what have you got out of this revisit of the films? Like, what's your big takeaway? What's your big note? I think it's just been really reassuring that, yeah, you love films growing up. And like, I'm only 24, I'm 25 next week. I don't have like that many films of love from a young age that like I've had enough time to really look back at it differently. Like, but with Jaws, because they were made kind of like the first one was made, what, 20 years before I was even born. It's been around a long time. And obviously I'm like, you know, of a generation that are used to like very good effects and CGI. But it's nice to know that you can still watch these films, see them for all their flaws, see them for all their errors whether it's like in the filmmaker and the plot and just still love them because you loved them when you were younger and 
they were there for you at a time that's so important like the films you love when you're 10 are actually way more important than the films that you love when you're 20 and that stays with you and that's what's important sorry to go into a bit like a cheesy like this you know what this is the shite Steven Spielberg wants you to say but anyways but like yeah it's just been really nice that I like no matter what happens I don't think or what age I am or how much exposure I have to films I'll still always love these films like no matter what that's pretty great i think think (laughs) think we're going to end on a better note than that all right then so at the end of the podcast we ask our guests to recommend something something they're enjoying at the moment something related to the movie something unrelated to the movie i know jay went there but i'm gonna as our shark exploitation expert i'm sure we can pull another one out but to give jay and emma a chance to think about it i'm gonna ask andrew to go first i couldn't really think of anything but during our discussion I, i i think i brought up stephen root and um uh, Barry is quite good, um, and you, yes. you can you can you can catch that. I thought you were just going to recommend Stephen Root as a person. <laughs> well, yeah, 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 like 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 in um, in Office Space, but I I I, I love him in King of the Hill. Um, He's great in anything. Like you you add like Stephen Root to a movie, and it automatically gains like half a star, if not a full star. Absolutely. Like what what was the one he did with oh is it the the empty man? The one with um where he has like a single he's literally like ported into the empty man for a single scene, which is a very good movie. It's a proper like that's the one with James Badgedale. Um the Slender Man movie. Okay, people did not care for the empty man. <coughs> not, I didn't mind it. I had a lot of good ideas and it just went on forever. Not getting the empty man vibe. Alright, but anyway, so I like Stephen Root in the empty man. But anyway, and I like him in everything, he's great in everything. He does elevate, he's absolutely correct. And um Aside from that, um, 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 Emma mentioned um, uh, Dream Gun Film Reads yesterday, and um, I've uh, I've been enjoying uh, Tony Cantwell's hit show because he he does Dream Gun, um, and it's it's very unproduced. Various times during like almost every episode, he goes down some like rabbit hole that isn't going anywhere, and he's like. Is this good? Um, and I, I, I love that kind of style of podcasting where, um, where you don't really um, know what you're getting, and where it's more sort of like improvisation. And um, we aspire to it. It's quite funny. Um, yeah. So the the, the um, if that's your thing, um, check it out and see if it is, and if you like it, <laughs> there's more. Um. All right, then. And uh, Emma, what would you recommend? What are you enjoying? God, I'm really stuck. I think if I wanted to keep it close to what we've been talking about in Jaws and stuff, I, I think a lot of people would attest that the best shark film outside the Jaws the franchise is like the 2001, 2000 Deep Blue Sea. Definitely give that. Like, I feel like any shark fan has or shark exploitation film yeah, yeah. has seen it. But I also really like The Reef, the Australian one, which was like yeah, maybe yeah. 2011. That's good as well. That's more kind of a stock and way more realistic. And then a, a, a sea film that I rented because I thought it promised a shark when I was around 12 and I was really disappointed, but it's actually quite good. Do you remember that film Adrift? It's about, they go out in this gorgeous yacht and it's like kind of like, you know, 30 something friends and they all jump off the boat and don't put down the ladder. Do you remember that film? Yeah. yeah, re- yes. I, that's really good in terms of showing how scary the sea is without any sort of like creature or monster. Like the main character has a really deep fear of the water and you kind of find out how. And I think it's a really interesting film of showing how scary the water is without any sort of like living creature. So yeah, I'd recommend them if you want to continue on with our ocean shark theme. 
Should we should we say like how? Oh, I suppose it would spoil the movie. But would we? Um, I would like to know how how one how one gets out of that without a. Anyway, watch the movie. <laughs> you have to watch it, Andrew. Yeah, it's the exactly. only way you'll find yeah. out. Andrew will never take another yacht trip like, again. He'll public, be like, just make sure you put the ladder around. down. Yeah. The, yeah. 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 Well, um, like after the honeymoon, there probably won't be like too many more yacht trips. It's very. It's fair. not a normal thing that I. <laughs> um, Jay, what would you recommend? What are you enjoying? I, I got to stick with the theme as well. Actually, I I did a a little bit of a, a couple of Piranha films a while back. Um, the original, which was uh, Joe Dante and ripping and off John Jaws. Sales. Yeah, yeah, and it's great. The original Piranha is great. Very political John Sales script that adds a lot of fun to it. Like kind of hysterical newscasting and kind of you know it bleeds the lead stuff uh, and really fun. But I didn't watch that Piranha 3D, the Alexander Aya film. Including Richard Dreyfuss. That is this that is a ferocious film. I was not expected to be as it? violent. I I was stunned by how violent it is. It's keep, ferocious. Keep in mind there's Piranha 3 and Piranha 3 Double D, which I are did, not Double D, yeah. just to just to be clear, which I've heard is absolutely yeah. Which, yeah. And I haven't watched Which that. one has the Piranha swimming down the woman's stomach while she's having sex onto and biting onto your man's? Penis. But it's this great cast of like Elizabeth Hugh, kind yeah. of Ving Rhames, Richard Dreyfus, as uh, Darren said. Christopher Lloyd? I, I feel like that was a question, Jay. Yeah, like which one is it? <laughs> oh, it's not the one. Sorry, it's not the one There's that's. There's three new ones. Yeah. It, it might be that one. <laughs> it, it, <laughs> there's a lot of weird, deeply strange uh, deaths in it and extremely yeah. unpleasant things happen so it could well that's be that that's one with Adam yeah. Scott right that's yes. Piranha 3D is, is Adam yes. Scott yeah. and how do you get out of that if if, if, <laughs> if uh, Piranha bites it? I'm just asking for a friend <laughs> you have to watch the movie yeah, yeah. <laughs> but post just the last thing I'll say post uh, post my uh, watching of Cruel Jaws last night I was looking for other films that might fulfill this need to kind of keep going because this season is never going to end apparently and I stumbled upon one called Tentacles uh, from 1977, starring John Huston, Shelley Winters, <laughs> Bo Hopkins, and Henry Fonda, and it's a joint octopus terrorizing the coast. Oh. And lads, I cannot wait to watch it. It looks incredibly daft, um, and I am all over it. So get your tentacles on. You're you're hoping it's a ten out of tentacles film. Boom. <laughs> Just there. Have eight legs to stand on. Yeah. Anyway, I, don't know what I'm I, I feel like you probably uh, the algorithm will push you towards more like Cthulhu stuff. No. <laughs> yeah, I think I'm heading that way. It's it'll be it would appear. Yeah. It would appear. The problem is you want to avoid like the, the white supremacist uh, H.P. Lovecraft overlap on YouTube. Marissa, <laughs> but don't, I'll do my best. Don't don't avoid the hip hop Lovecraft, which is the the hip opera um, with Cthulhu. Um, there is Thank actually you. there is actually a Call of Cthulhu movie that is is worth seeking out, which I guess is my, is my recommendation. I don't know. Um, yeah, in terms of, of recommendations uh, for myself, I was going to recommend Deep Blue Sea because nobody recommended it on the podcast at this point, but Emma beat me to it. So sorry. <laughs> no, well, well, well done. In terms of stuff I'm enjoying at the moment, I guess I don't know. I I go back and I just watch Jaws again because I rewatched Jaws recently for this podcast. Um, so yeah, go back and and now that you've watched these four episodes, watch Jaws. Uh, in terms of of, of other stuff I'd recommend yeah I'm all out of ideas um, so yeah that that that's it um, alright then <laughs> the season has defeated you Darren I'm, 
I mean, to be to be fair, we like we are releasing five episodes in a week. I feel like it's okay for me to struggle for recommendations. That's yeah. true. That's yeah. true. Yeah. I, mean, I think we've recommended enough for everyone. <laughs> yeah. Um. So Jay, where can they find you? Watch out. Watch watch up to online. Uh, I'm not doing a lot. I'm at jpierkyle on Twitter. Kind of the usual nonsense. All right. And Emma, where are you at? Watch up to. Same as yesterday. I'm features editor over at Collider.com. So you can check out all our stuff there. And I've written a few articles for it that you can check out as well. Perfect. All right. Because Shark Week never ends on the 250, we are going to offer you a special treat tomorrow to celebrate Shack Week which I believe is what they call Shark Week in Massachusetts, we'll be covering oh Steel, starring Shaquille O'Neal with the fantastic Niall Glynn, the wonderful Graham Day. It's a fantastic discussion. We hope you'll join us. That's us reclaiming our Saturday slot. Thank you so much. Thank you, first of all, for listeners who listened to four episodes of this this week. Thank you to Jay for coming on and talking about this. But My thank pleasure. you in particular to Emma for doing all four episodes of this, for suggesting this idea in the first place. I had a really, it's really a great good time idea. doing well it. Done. Thank uh, you so, so thank much. Thank you very much. Me. It's been an absolute pleasure. Um, take care. All right. Bye, guys. Bye. Thanks, Thanks, Emma. See you, Emma. Thanks.